right, welcome to Prop Talk. I'm just going to say Paul Baker. Just, <laughs> you know, and everybody's going to have to figure out what that means at this point. But I mean, if you listen to enough episodes at this point, you that's should. right. You should know. <laughs> You'll have to go back. All right. Uh, I'm Chris Call, uh, Education Chair for the uh, Property Masters Guild, and uh, I'm here with Mikey Trudell, who's also co-hosting with me. Uh, today, uh, we wrap up the Master Series from the 2023 Awards season with Property Master and PMG member Andy Siegel. Andy's been in the game for over 35 years, from what I could tell. So I just have to also throw this out that I do all my research through IMDb, which can often be wrong. So correct me when I'm wrong. But this is what I gleaned from it. Uh, Most of it uh, doing props, which is impressive. Um, Somewhere in the early 20s, he started mastering mostly. Uh, Some of Andy's credits include G.I. Joe, Superman Returns, Star Trek Into the Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond, two Star Trek movies, that's pretty awesome, Uh, Fantastic Four, Green Hornet, the first Avatar, the best, okay, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Bad Teacher, I'm turning a page, Um, uh, the pilot for the last ship, is that right, Andy? Yep, that's true. Nice, and most recently, Birds of Prey. Kidding, the television show, and of course, The Fablemans. And finally, after a lifetime of doing major superhero and action movies, which it seems, uh, you did Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. So Yes, indeed. I <laughs> loved that movie. Awesome. Like, hey, that it was won such an a Emmy for best TV movie. <laughs> really? That? It won an Emmy for like best TV movie. Fantastic. Was it, like, you is, consider is, that a TV is, movie? Is that, that new, they did. is that that new category? I have that no the idea. Emmys did? I just okay. know somebody sent me a text like, hey, your show won an Emmy. I'm like, Great. Fantastic. Where awesome. is it? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's coming. Um, let's see. Where are so where are we where are you from originally, Andy? Hollywood, California. Wow, really? we have our first <laughs> Hollywood prop master. That's right. Nice. Grew up mostly on the uh, on the same block that the Groundlings Theater is on Melrose. Okay. So I was just a block off of that and went to Fairfax High, Melrose Avenue School. Wow. Were your parents in the industry? Nope. Dad was a butcher, mom taught typing, and then she was you know, stay-at-home mom. Wow, fantastic. So, go ahead, Mike. Are they, are they from Hollywood then, too? Like My mom is, and her mom is. So, um, yeah, that's a lot. My dad came from Detroit, but, yeah. He's like, we're better butchering is <laughs> definitely in Hollywood. I think his mom just didn't like the cold. She said, okay, oh, I was going to say, too, what brought you to Hollywood if it, or what brought them to Hollywood if it wasn't for My film? grandfather passed away very young, mm-hmm. and my grandmother took care of her two boys, and ran a gas station in Detroit. And I think as she said, or as my dad told me, she got tired of shoveling fucking snow. Yeah. And said, oh, I'm moving, you know, moving to California. Run and then she came it. out to Downey and opened a dress shop and she was the first woman uh, store owner, business owner in Downey. Nice. So. I love that. Cool lady. I yeah. like that story. Yeah. How did you fall into film then? If that, you didn't want to <clears throat> take the reins of like cutting meat and uh, no, I did not want to do that, and my dad was adamant that he did not want me to do that either. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, good. I answered an ad on the board at Cal State Northridge. I was doing theater, uh, which I sort of just followed my buddies, Jeff and Larry. They went to CSUN, so I went to CSUN. For they, what? Uh, well, I went as a music major, which was you know just sort of silly, because all I really wanted to do was play bass for the Rolling Stones, which is a job that didn't open up for another 30 years. <laughs> Uh, so I was a little early. I was an early adopter of that plan. Yeah. So it failed. Uh, took about two music classes and then just sort of hung out in the theater department with them. And then he's a, one's a lawyer. Larry's a lawyer. 
Jeff's a coffee roaster. I'm the only one who's actually in oh, the business. But uh, I started designing sets. So I designed sets for... In, at CSUN? Yeah, at CSUN. Oh, okay. for, for theater. theater. Yeah. Nice. And then, like I said, I was walking down the... Uh, Walking down the hallway one day, and I saw an ad, assistant art director one, and I thought, how hard could that be? <laughs> so I called and began my uh, long-standing policy of lying my way into jobs that I was completely unprepared to do. Nice. How did did you how did you get like did you have any experience in designing and building sets? No. How did that co- <laughs> zero? Right. So yeah. that was a lie. That was in that. the eighties, right? The yeah, early or yeah, late, mid mid eighties, mid eighties, like right? Five, maybe. I don't know. I'm not really good with the numbers thing. Um, but yeah, I was completely. I, I I'm pretty sure the reason I got that job was because they realized that I had access to the CSUN uh, theater shop. Sure. And I did not know that there were supposed to be other people other than me in an art department. So I was the assistant art director. The art director right. disappeared about two weeks in. Literally disappeared just so that I was the art director. And I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. At the interview, they literally said, hey, can you also do storyboards? And I went, uh-huh. <laughs> and they said, okay, draw us, draw us an image of somebody like getting thrown over a cliff in 185. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't know. And I took a piece of paper and I started sketching out what I thought was, now I realize was the aspect ratio of what a movie ought to be. And I started drawing, and I'm terrible. Okay. I was going to ask. Oh, no, no, no. I could Yeah, no art skills before that. No, zero. Yeah, zero. So I started drawing this thing, and then they got a phone call, and then they said I had the job. You are bold, man. Right, right. (laughs) It's like, I'll take a drawing job. I suck at drawing. That's right. (laughs) Look, I said this for now 30 years. I didn't have the job when I walked in. I can't not have the job more. So whatever, I got the job. The Abyss is probably my... uh, my high point of lying my way. Cause I think right. I did six different jobs on that movie, worked for six different companies. I was only actually prepared to do one of them. Model making. Yeah. No, I mean, what? I built a lot of models. They literally you've got said, a model making credit. On I built the models. Abyss. Yeah, no, I, I worked on that movie for a long time building models. Wow. But when they said, have you built models before? Come I said, on, yeah. how, did, how did that happen? How did you get on the abyss? Um, <laughs> let's think. Okay. So I, Got a job on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Right, I saw that too. And I got that job. Again, continuing my career of falsehoods. Uh, <laughs> I met a guy who played in a band with me, Greg, and he played drums. And he, we went and met up at a bar. And I said, What are you doing? And he goes, Oh, I'm a PA and please Pee Wee's Playhouse. Have you heard of it? I'm like, Heard of it? I love that show. And he goes, We should come by the set. So literally Monday, I'm like, Hey, I'm coming by. And he's like, Really? I'm like, yeah, okay. again, I got nothing to do. So I went by the set. I met the prop master. I had done that movie, Survival Quest. Um, I brought a resume, because I'm no dummy, and I handed him a resume. I said, hey, if you ever need a, you know, an extra person. I didn't know, again, didn't know anything. Right. A fudged resume. Do you remember who the property <laughs> master was? Uh, his name was James. He also got an Emmy that, okay. you know, didn't, uh, he didn't share. He didn't get He it. did have a party, though. Nice. But um, so... The next day, the onset prop guy quit. Oh, and he man. called me. He You're lucky to... like that. This is yeah. No, I got really lucky. I'm noticing a trend. I, I, well, I'm lucky in that way. But anyway, so he uh, <laughs> there's no lottery ticket in my future. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so he quit. James called me. He asked me a couple questions. One of which was, you know, are you good with continuity? I'm like, I'm a master in continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what continuity was except for the electricity class I talk and taught right. uh, that I went to at junior high school. I mean, it was ridiculous. 
But and, and later he told me, he goes, oh, yeah, that's the reason that I hired you, because you were the only one of the three people I hired who really knew about continuity. Wow. But I just thought, you know, they, I walked in, they said, oh, you know, Paul knows where every little tchotchke is on the set, so you have to be really on top of it. And I thought, okay, well, it's, it's one set. Yeah. I mean, it was hard. Sure. Right. But I still remember that there was a there was a doll on a table and you had to have its left leg crossed over its right, right. leg. You know, right. like it's not a hard concept to grasp. No, and you had Polaroids and you just did it, right? And it was really fun until I broke my elbow and then it was less fun. How'd you do that? Did you fall uh, off the bike? No. No. Paul was on Conky and it's a scene, it's a it's a shot from the opening where they're spinning around and they okay. fell over backwards and everybody went, oh, to the rescue because uh. and then the second time it happened. I went to the rescue, only I caught a cable on the way out and went sailing into the middle of the uh, set. Uh, I was operating the dog chair at the time, so I had my hands up protecting the remote control and literally came uh, down smack dab in the middle of the set. On your elbow. Apparently, because I got up, I said, I'm okay, and it looked at about 50 people looking at me saying, uh, no, you're not. And yeah, so. Wow. This is, you graduated CSUN before doing this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I... Then, to make a long story longer, yeah. <laughs> when I got done with whatever rehab, because I had you know, a couple operations, five days in the hospital, wow. the whole thing, couldn't really move my elbow. It was that serious then, huh? Yeah, I broke like the tip off, and I had to put, there's still three Ow. screws in there. Oh. So yeah, if you guys fall down, I will gladly help you up. I probably will not be go diving to the rescue. I probably yeah, won't that's, do that. That's so. good. Um, but anyway, so then I was renting a house, in Studio City, about a block from where I live now, and I was chatting up the neighbors, and the woman who lived in front in the front house said, "Oh, my brother's working on this movie. You, you know, he's working on the Blob." Okay. And I said, "Oh, that's cool." And I was chatting him up, and he goes, "Oh, you worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse. They just fired all the puppeteers on the Blob. You should go get a job on it." Wow. So I went in, and I met this guy, Mike Fink, and he said, "Oh." You worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know, looking at my resume. So you've done puppets. And I went, uh huh. <laughs> and then I was a puppeteer on the blob. Um, you know, I was a non unit puppeteer on the blob. So that was pretty cool for about six weeks. And then one of those guys said, hey, there's this guy, Don Pennington, and Don's building these submarines, you know. So I went to meet Don, and Don said, have you fiberglassed? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of a lot of boat work I've done. That's right. Bondo's my middle name. And then I literally went to the library that I live around the corner from now, and I got a book on fiberglassing. And I think I read two pages. And went, oh fuck this! I gotta. I'm just gonna have to watch someone. Right. And I did. Like I there was one guy out of like four of us in this you know million degree hangar in Van Nuys Airport, fiberglassing these submarines. Because what what had happened was, the production bought actual submarines from a company called Candive. And then the designer had designed these fiberglass housings to go on there to make them look the way that Cameron wanted them to look in the movie. So we were just making fiberglass pieces. And there was one guy who really knew what he was doing. And I just said some nonsense like, yeah, last time I did this, the ratios were whatever. He goes, okay, just do this and this and this and this. And then I did that. And I did it a little differently. <laughs> yeah. And then that worked. And so I did that. And I was decent at that. I mean, it's actually, you know, it's something you could learn pretty easily. I mean, none of us were as good as, I can't remember his name, but like, you know, he was a mold guy. We were just doing the lay in the fiberglass, right. put in the resin, pull it out. Yeah. You're on the assembly line. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was super cool. I mean, I'm sure I took at least eight years of my life off because we were no like doubt. washing our hands in MEK and acetone, all Ugh, the things. That, breathing you know, all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were an OSHA disaster. 
Yeah. And then one of those guys said, hey, you know, the same movie's looking for model makers. Wow. You know, because that's the way it could work, right? There's you, all these you, little companies. You are lucky. And I went to, you know, Wonderworks. Okay. Oh. And got a job there working on the, uh, the deep core miniature. Again, same thing. I was lucky enough that the guy who was the prop master on Survival Quest was now the shop foreman in charge at Wonderworks. So I could oh, go to him and I'd go, you know, somebody came over and said, okay, you have to make a plaster sweep for the end cap of the deep core miniature. And I, at that point, I was over and I just said, I mean, because they'd asked me if I'd built models. I'm like, of course, which I built all sorts of those like Aurora That's models. Right. So I, I wasn't <laughs> lying. I made, a, I made a plane once. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. Right. I built, a, actually had a whole wall of models at my house. But yeah. They said, um, can, you need to make a plaster sweep. And luckily, I could go into Eric and go, I got no idea what a plaster sweep is. And he took me outside and showed me how to do it. And I Fantastic. did it. And, you know, the rest of it's not, you know, people are nice. Yeah. Luckily, right. people are pretty cool. And if you're working with people who really know what they're doing, and one of them, this guy, Adam Gelbart, who was Larry Gelbart, the guy who created MASH's right. son. And Adam and I became good friends. And he had been doing it a long time. He's a really, he's still to this day as a talented miniature maker. Mm. And I could just go, Adam, I got no fucking clue what I'm doing. And he'd be, oh, do it like this. You know, because nice. people want to help you. And they yes. want you to succeed. And I've generally felt if you do ask people, you know, and sure. you admit that you don't know something, people will show you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you said you built a lot of models as a kid. Was that Were you a builder as a yeah, kid? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're always into that. Yeah, I always built stuff. And my uncle, always, like my uncle built, you know, my our garage at home into my bedroom. And there was always, you know, sure. projects and stuff going on. Right. And my grandfather had this huge, you know, workshop in nice. their house. And yeah. I'd always just go walk around there, look at all the yeah. tools. And yeah, so it was in your DNA. It, it smelled like Apex. His garage <laughs> smelled like Apex. You know, that sort of like old electronics yeah. and hardware and oil smell, yeah. <laughs> which is great. So when you were on the Abyss, did you meet James Cameron then? I mean, did that have anything to do with you getting Avatar? It had nothing to do with me getting <laughs> Avatar, but I did meet Jim, and the highlight of that was, so I, again, continuing, I, uh, wanted, I really wanted to go with the Deep Core Miniature to South Carolina. Obviously, they weren't going to take me. Right. Right? Hey, let's take the worst model maker in the shop. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. But when the best model maker, Alan, came back after his week, he said, hey, I'm not telling you this, but they want somebody to babysit the miniature for like the next eight weeks or something. So if you call this number, you might get that job, which of course meant I was ditching out on Wonderworks, but I was when, and I ran down the uh, Fluky's <laughs> hot dog stand down the right. street in Northridge and I crammed a bunch of quarters into, you know, and pay phone. And I called South Carolina and I talked to Julia, who was the effects supervisor. I said, Hey, I hear you need a model maker. And she offered me some money and I asked for, couple hundred dollars more and she gave it to me oh. i think i was making 1300 bucks a week nice. and she said i totally knew you were lying i totally knew you were just <laughs> the, you know you said something like my rate is this and she goes oh yeah but i thought you know i'll give them the extra money wow uh so i went there no no sorry i was only supposed to go for two weeks i ended there for 11 weeks whoa wow. yeah it was a because it just was a never like many jim cameron Did movies. they put you up yeah and the uh comfort in gaffney right restaurant row was like the gas station, the Waffle House, the Jack in the Box. It was it was not a great place. That you spent a lot of life. time in hotel rooms. Yeah, and that was a really not a great hotel room. Uh, <laughs> that was not a high watermark for hotels. I hear, I hear you, but it was awesome because I learned to dive. I got oh. certified in the big tank, which oh. was awesome. Wow! And then Adam, my buddy Adam, knew I really wanted to work underwater. Of course, there was no room for me. At the end. He may or may not have developed a rash from being in a wetsuit for months and months. Right. So he didn't want to do the last two weeks. 
and he, you know, kindly bumped that over to me. So I ended up in the water with Jim Cameron directing, trying to redirect all the shots that the B unit had done for the last six months. Did you get certified specifically for that? Like, were you like in water before this? And I was on the swim team and I love the water and I, you know, I mean, but I just was like, wow, here's an opportunity. There's a tank. Yeah. You'll teach me to dive. I can look at all this equipment. And it was awesome. And then I spent two weeks getting screamed at by Jim underwater, which is quite the experience. And we joked about it later (laughs) because he had this mask so he could scream or talk at you um, through this mask. But it was always like this thing. It's be like, okay, you're going to take that model (laughs) because these valves in his mask made that sound. So that's what you heard all day long for 12 hours underwater, just (laughs) (laughs) and of course you can't talk back. No. And my recollection of it was that he always, and this was this was a tank full of the guys who had done Jaws and whatever yeah. underwater movie they had made a million years ago. All these guys really knew what they were doing, and then there was me. You know, I was eager, but I was like, man, I learned to dive about twenty minutes ago, and, and these guys <laughs> really tried to kill you, right, um, in the most fun way. <laughs> Like they would put a dime in your regulator so you couldn't get any air. They'd turn your air off while you're holding Whoa, something. Nice. They'd attach you to one of those little scooters and just drag you through rusty metal in the tank. Yeah. But if you survived that, it was pretty great. <laughs> um, and Jim would always have me do stuff that was A, completely above both my pay grade and my abilities, most of my abilities. And uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Have you, have you got to use that skill for underwater shooting since then? Uh, I was underwater a little bit on Batman and Robin. Oh, really? But that was about it. Yeah, yeah I, I was lucky enough on my last show, we had a whole episode that was all pretty much underwater. And I got, because I'm certified too, and I got to be the underwater prop. They didn't let too many people on, really, they, but they needed do, to reset props. <laughs> do they still do water pay? Yeah, I got a water bump, that, right. a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it a really is. good one. And But now they, and I don't know if they had this thing, because they... They, they didn't have like a mask to where you could hear something. They had the underwater speaker. Yeah, well, that's what it was. That's but still, it was. but Jim's mask through that transducer. Went through the speaker. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah through the wow. transducer. So they have like the camera there. And as you're like reading, adjusting stuff, they're like, oh, try to laugh. And you could just, it's so weird how you could put a speaker underwater and how sound travels. Yeah. You're just not used to that. Well, and sure it's, it's all you can hear. It's all you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> I live it. But it was great. It's like, and then it was, sorry, just to finish. Yes. I then was a puppeteer for a day. For the NTI scene, which I got from the guys on the blob, they called me and they clearly had run out of all the actual puppeteers in Hollywood and they got down to me. And then after that, the only job that I was actually qualified for was they came back to the LA swim, the Coliseum swim stadium to do two weeks of reshoots, mm-hmm. miniature stuff. And I got called for that and I went, oh, wow, I'm actually like, I am technically qualified for this job. <laughs> uh, it's the first one. And I will say that those two weeks in that, in that swimming pool was like going to film school for three years because the ability to I'll swim bet. next to Jim. Yeah. And why, I mean, I'll never forget. We were pushing the Montana, the submarine against a reef. And I'm like looking at him, looking where the camera is. And you know, when I saw it in the movie, it all made sense. I was actually lucky enough because I did the wet for wet miniatures. I worked for dream quest on dry for wet miniatures. I worked on this unit. So when like the submarine chase in the movie showed up in the movie, I was like, wow, that's that shot. That's that shot. And yeah. I can really see how great he was at putting all those things together and knowing which method of filmmaking was right and knowing where to put the camera to maximize 
again, because when you're just whacking a piece of plastic into another piece of plastic underwater, you're like, sure. what's this? But in the movie, again, I still remember like the Montana scraping against the thing right before the water starts pouring into the submarine. You're like, oh, that was that moment. Yeah. And how cool is that? Amazing. I mean, you can't, you can't build that. They, they don't, or beat that. You can't get that in any film school, really. I mean, that there's nothing like being on set. Yeah, and, and Jim was in a really great mood, and he would talk to you about it. Like I, you know, like you could say, "Wow, what are you? Why are we doing this?" And he would love to share that stuff. Fantastic. That great. But you said that that didn't help you to get Avatar. So you got Avatar in a different way. But did, when you got on it, did Jim remember you? No, <laughs> <laughs> bastard. I mean, to it was be like fair, 20 years later. Right? right. I went up and I said, he said, oh, nice to meet you. And I said, uh, we actually, I worked on the bits. And he actually said, oh, I'm sorry, but it's, you know, sorry if I don't remember you. It's been a long time. Yeah, I right. Said, yeah. He had a lot on his mind. And I said, and we were underwater and I was wearing a mask and you were mostly screaming. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's brilliant. So when you, you were talking, we've been talking about the abyss, you still never, like, that still wasn't a full prop job though, right? Oh, no, it wasn't a prop job at all. How did I get a prop job? Let's see. You got to look at the resume. What do I do have? Uh, oh, well, so anyways, so yeah, I have the timeline. After that, I must have been walking down the halls because the job on Cold Dog Soup, I got that from that ad on the board at Cal State Northridge. Oh, really? And, okay. And wait, is that it? No, sorry. I screwed this up. All right. That was the job. I got it right. I got the job on Survival Quest from the board. Then I got a call from Brad Einhorn, who had been given my name by this woman, Paula Gertz, who I went to theaters, you know, at, mm -hmm. at CSUN with. And I later asked her, I said, how did you get this call and why did you send it on to me? She goes, I don't remember any of that. Wow. So I don't know what happened, but Just I got the job with Brad. Right. One of your first prop jobs with the, was with Brad? Yeah, that was it. Whoa. Wow. And, that was the nail. <laughs> well, yeah. And the funny thing is, I think I got hired for one or two days and then... Pete Tulo, who was working for him, decided he didn't want to finish the movie. Hmm. So Brad <laughs> begrudgingly asked me to finish the movie. That was a really hard movie. I got sent home on the last day at 24 hours or 23 hours. Ooh. Brad went past that. It was not at all a fun experience. However, we both got exactly 30 days oh. on a completely unreleasable film. Wow. It's awful. What was it uh, called? Cold it's Dog the... Soup. Oh, it's the... <laughs> Cold dog soup. I'm going to have to watch that. I don't even know if you can. Right? It's got to be on VHS somewhere. I sort of don't think it Cold is. Dog I know soup. that... Um, There's a trailer. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, there is a trailer. Wow. Oh, Randy Quaid. It nice. must have just come out. It literally must have just come out. Because it wasn't releasable for years oh, surreal years black years. comedy. Oh, yeah, I definitely have to watch this movie. So you said you got your 30 days. Does that mean you got in the union on this picture? I got my 30 days, and then I don't know if you go back to the resume. I don't know what I did after that. I got, you yeah. know what? I worked on two low budget movies. Mm -hmm. And then Brad. You worked on Dinosaurs. I, I, I don't want to gloss over that I real did quick. Work on dinosaurs. That's courtesy of Josh Meltzer. Who oh, I knew, okay. Who I knew from, he was, he's a little bit older than me, but he would come back and work on plays at Fairfax High. So I oh. sort of knew Josh from Fairfax. Oh, my God. Um, but I did a couple low budget movies, and then Brad called me again begrudgingly, and said, do you want to be the third on Rocketeer? Yes. And my girlfriend, who was then my wife, who's now my ex-wife, said, do you remember how miserable you were on Cold Dog Soup? <laughs> so I, of course, doing what I always do, hesitated way too long. And by the time I called Brad back, he was like, 
yeah, I already hired somebody else. So I'm like, oh, well, that's fine. Probably, you know, for the best. Then he called me back a little while later and said, well, now. They quit. Do you want to be? They didn't quit. (laughs) But his second quit. So now I'm not the third. He offered me the job as the second. And then I'm like, oh, I can't turn it down. And I went and I took the job and joined the union. He like ran down to the union hall when it was still on Oxnard. Guy said, you picked a bad time to to join 44, son. They're making all the movies in Europe now. I'm like, well, I got no choice. So here's whatever money I have. And I went and started Rocketeer, which was an amazing experience. I'll bet. And so did you and Brad get along from the beginning or no? No. It didn't sound like no. it, right? No, I mean... But you've done so many pictures with him, right? Oh, no, Brad's absolutely... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, listen, when you listed G.I. Joe on my resume, G.I. Yeah. Joe is only there courtesy of Brad. Sure. Like, everything I have, everything I've been able to do prop-wise is due to Brad. Um, well, he mentored you, basically, yeah? Yeah, no, exactly. Right? Yeah. And I learned so much. We got to do really great work on really great movies. And he yeah. is, you know, when people say, oh, uh, no, he's the best prop master around because he really cares about the props and he yeah. cares about the movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and it was an amazing experience, but it wasn't easy. It's like, you sure. know, we're both young, hey. both stupid. Yeah. And I, there was there was a turning point, and I don't even know if Brad remembers it, so I won't go into it, but there was a turning point in Santa Maria on Rocketeer where I think he realized that I was serious, and maybe I wasn't serious before. Maybe I didn't come off as serious. Sure. Um, you know, and after that, we just were both like, okay, we both want to work the same way, and we did it for 12 years. Yeah. So, That's a time. good long run. It's a good long run, yeah. I see uh, you did Lorenzo's Oil and Striking Distance. Those were both in Pittsburgh, right? Yes, they were. Yeah, because I was in the Berg then. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I love the Berg. I know, it's a great if town. If you like beer, baseball, and french fries, yeah, you know, it's no better place in the good, world. It's a good town, for sure. Wow. Um, so, and yes. Lorenzo's Oil, another amazing movie with amazing right. people. Yeah, I mean amazing like uh, people b- behind camera. Well, I mean, all of Susan it. Sarandon was in there, right? Yeah, Nick Nolte. Right, and right. It was one. Of, yeah. I remember I had a day where say what you will about Nick's accent, and a lot of people did. They didn't like it, but there was one day I went up to get his watch and his ring, like he did, and I ran up across the street to the schoolroom that his office was. Mm-hmm. And he just looks at me and he starts doing his big speech from the movie that he was going to film the day before. And I'm like, man, I just got like a, you know, five foot away performance from a great actor right in my face. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. But John Seal was the DP and John Seal had shot Witness was was kind of the movie that I went, man, that's a big movie. That is what a big movie is supposed to look like. Right. And I'm working with the guy who shot that And, and George Miller. You know, obviously, George yeah, was amazing, yeah, yeah. and he yeah, was I mean, it, that fantastic was to work film. with. Yeah, and you know what? I, I worked so hard on that movie. I actually drove myself to the um, NIH to do research where the real family had done the research mm-hmm. to try to find all the real documents, Ooh. Um, which was, you know, the kind of thing you do when you're young and really driven. But yeah. I mean, you know, I was making a movie that I still, if I read that script, I'll cry when I get to the end. Absolutely. And so just, you know, serious business. So you, you were, you were assistant prop master yep. on that and you were, so what was your uh, relationship like then in research? So, or with research and so in prep, you were doing a lot of research as well with Brad. Yeah. Well, those were, those were back in the days where we didn't have giant departments and didn't have coordinators. It was just me and Brad, like on Rocketeer, right. Tim Wiles was no our internet. third. Yeah, Tim, no Tim Wiles was it that you Tim guys? Tim Wiles was the third. I, I love loved Tim. He's the best. <laughs> yeah. Tim and I did Survival Quest together. That was our first movie. Both of our first movies. Excellent. So, yeah. And so then Tim was the third on Rocketeer. He'd second unit on one of the 
Batman movies he mastered. That's when he wanted to move up. Yeah. But yeah, like all of our departments were much smaller. There weren't researchers. Right. There weren't buyers. There weren't coordinators. Right. There weren't on-set dressers. There weren't on-set dressers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so. and often we did uh, special effects a little bit, right? We, didn't we? We all carried E fans. Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. still really? have a, I have a fogger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring it out. I got Halloween. good at my wafting skills. Man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. On the Rocketeer, did you guys? Because that's that's. I feel like that's a huge movie. Did not really do many. Well, I guess the Abyss was. But did you guys know that that was going to be like such a big movie when you were on it? Like, was that built up to be a classic? <laughs> I didn't know anything. You maybe know, maybe know. Brad did. I, you know, yeah. I don't know. And he had he had done a lot of work before I got there. Yeah, like the rocket pack and the helmet were well underway. Right. Um, I don't know. It was just amazing because you got to Santa Maria and you're looking at like stands full of people and we're flying a dude on a stick in front of a helicopter right above <laughs> these people and then we're dropping a guy out of a plane and planes are flying around yeah. and doing tricks. It was awesome. I'll bet. And there's still like there's a shot at the observatory this crane shot which unfortunately got cut up in the movie and i will say to this day that's one of the most beautiful shots i've ever seen but you know coming down off the statue then onto the tableau in front of the observatory it was just like wow there's nazis and bad guys and good guys that are doing the rocket pack like what is cooler than this nothing nothing yeah yeah Yeah, that's interesting because again i came from a secondary market uh did was a prop master you know in pittsburgh for many years uh, but when I came to L.A., I didn't have, you know, the chops really to start mastering that much. So I went to work for Doug Fox on Volcano, which for me was my first big giant film. Yeah, and just big. like you said, it was crazy. Like my first day I showed up, we were at uh, um, oh, we were okay. at the Bev Center yeah. there. And we, you know, that whole thing, they, we did lot, they did special effects live on there, whatever. But I showed up, there were 500 National Guardsmen and 500 right. firefighters. And my first job, it was like 4 a.m. in the morning, I had to unload jackhammers from the back of a <laughs> steak bed. Okay, you know, and then we proceeded to make, he had two trailers on that show. We ended up going out and they recreated Miracle Mile up, in Santa Clarita somewhere. Oh, really? Um, uh, I think that's where it was. But it was like four blocks of it where everything with the 100-foot palm trees and then they lit the palm trees on fire like mat- giant matches and they came in with these helicopters, came swooping down, dumping all this water and all these firefighters and National Guardsmen and I was just like blown away. Yeah. That, yeah. And you, my friend, have done movie after movie like that right <laughs> yeah does like i feel like your expectations because i i did a lot of independent before i even made it to like a ridiculous set and i feel like in the past year was the first time i really made it to like on a set that was such a crazy budget to see a lot of that stuff you have like the abyss was not conventional at all how <laughs> i shoot and then you have the rocketeer i feel like going on to a set after that would be like a little bit less climactic anything after that no almost. it's always no. awesome <laughs> it's always awesome i mean that's the thing like if you love doing this and you love the movies it's always fantastic and that's one of the things actually my assistant melissa was mentioning as we were walking through the halls of this place ofs in atlanta watching sculptors take styrofoam and turn them yeah. into big ice stuff you're just like man this is great. Look what we get. Look who we get to work with. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's amazing. The, just the artistry of stuff. Or another thing I was just talking about last week. There's an effect on Green Hornet mm-hmm. where a car drives into an elevator, 
And then the elevator goes up and it smashes through all this glass. Right. And it was just like we all sat there with our jaws open going, this is the dumbest thing. This is so <laughs> fantastic and awesome to watch this, like actually be in the room. Right. It's super cool. It is. Oh. It, it's amazing. I mean, and now on a giant action movie like that, what's, um, there, there's so many people involved in it uh, and such a high level. I, how, how much, how is it different than like working on a standard film? I mean, doing these giant uh, superhero action movies. I mean, it's all sort of the same. It's just, I mean, that's the thing about props is we have to interface with so many other departments. Mm -hmm. And on those movies, especially, hey, we have to attach a prop to a costume. So we have to accommodate for that hey, this prop has to work with special effects. Right. As we all know, you know, like, and yeah. there's all of the all of the interactions, I would say, that were maybe the department that has to interact with the other departments the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it gets to those movies, maybe it's a little more. Sure. But now it's the same on every, it's the same. As yeah, you figure out the problem and then you work it out. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I mean, we're going to get into Fablemans as well, but I'm going to jump in there real quick because you mentioned something in the panel discussion about uh, meeting Spielberg four days before shooting. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, that was our prop meeting. I mean, yeah. I had met him before technically. I technically, he directed a video game mm -hmm. called Steven Spielberg's Movie Makers, which I also don't think came out. And somehow Chris Spellman hired me to do props on that. Okay. It was Quentin was in it. Okay. Jennifer Aniston and Penn and Teller. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah, but it was it was like let's like get as many people who are not like each other. At it was all. before its time. It was a video game, and you're supposed to choose the ending I see. kind of thing and like put it together. And I don't think it ever came out. So technically, I worked for him Crazy. on that, which was just a fluke. Sure. And then I met him. He came to visit Star Trek Into Darkness a couple times. Okay. Which was rad. You're like, dude, it's Spielberg. Right. Hey, I'm yeah, bringing hello, Spielberg to record share. That's so cool. Is he a Trekkie? Is that like he's friends with JJ. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I, so, I think I saw him on a JJ show. And then yeah. actually, JJ came to visit us on Fableman's a couple times. Oh, nice. So they really are friends. They're, you know, if you look at the movies, I think there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Right. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so the, the, the only real prop meeting on Fableman's was four days before he started shooting. But who did you interact with as far as like you know, breaking down the script and, and getting what they wanted? I mean, it's such a personal film for him. Yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. And this is a thing that, like, in particular, Brad is really good at. Sexton is really good at. I am god-fucking-awful at it. The movies I've worked on, especially manufacturing movies, there's a lot of, like, you draw it, you show it, sure. you mock it up, right. you go back and forth. There's right. a lot of this stuff. A lot of the movies that I think Brad's done, like with Steven Soderbergh and the Coen Brothers, you just get the props, which is probably what real prop guys know how to do. I am, like I said, terrible at it i don't know how to just do it i want to talk about it i right. want you to show yeah. me i want you to tell me you hate it you like it yeah. you like this about it so subjective yeah but like those guys are really good at just bringing the props and i think that steven comes from that school of just just bring the prop and have it be the right thing and don't fuck it up right so when you say that then you have to have lots of choices is it wasn't even it wasn't one of those things because we just brought the right stuff and we had worked so hard and Melissa and Greg Edgar and Brad who came into shop for me um, and Paul Beauvais who prepped with us a little bit we all worked so hard that when we put our presentation together for that meeting right 
we had most of the props. And so we, that meeting, the that was the four day out meeting. Yeah. So if you, so you, it was a prop show and tell essentially. Yeah, and, and Andrew Kahn, who was our art director, helped us put together a presentation that looked like the art department ones that Steven right. used to looking at. I'm like, okay, so here's all the guns we have for Escape to Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Here's all of the bikes we're renting from right. History for Hire. Here's the projectors. We. So was it like a digital show and tell? Yeah, we, okay. we made a PDF. Right, he was on a boat, right? He was on a yacht oh. <laughs> in France. Yeah. And you were at ISS. Yeah. <laughs> in not a windowless on a room. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying not to bite my nails on the Zoom. Oh, my um, God. But you know what? It was a, sort of the same on the prom with Ryan Murphy. Ryan is very busy, yes. which is a nice way of saying completely inaccessible. Yes. <laughs> and he doesn't want to look at anything. He just wants you to bring the props. And at the end of the day, there wasn't a prop that either director said, no, I want something else. Right. So that either makes me a really good prop guy or them really disinterested or I don't think the that's truth it. <laughs> is in the middle, right? So like, and you just, again, we worked really hard and we brought the right props. And the only thing we went back and forth on a few times were the cameras and projectors. Right, right. Because story-wise, Steven sort of changed the direction a little bit. Like just, and it was only timeline stuff and how big a camera or how nice a camera Sammy should have at certain times. So that that evolved a little bit, but not a great deal. And we had already made all the choices. Like this is literally what's available. Sure. This is what we can get. This is what we should get. Okay, and then it was like, how much would that have really cost? There were some, you know, questions, story questions. Right. But everything else was pretty much there. So, again, this being autobiographical for him, I mean, were there things that he had in his mind from his experience? I think there were, but he was never really, I don't think, I don't want to say he wasn't too precious about it, because obviously he, it is the story of his life. sure. But he was really... Again, we we brought the stuff, and he was really appreciative. There was one day where I showed him. I went, and Chariot Studio Graphics had made us the Lionel train wrap, yeah, I remember which that. was a big deal. Yeah. Like, because all the train guys were like, you got to have the train wrap. And I'm Absolutely. like, okay. So I had a guy send me train wrap, and we duplicated. And I brought it out. I brought it out to the camping scene to show Steven, and he got really emotional. Wow. I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much for doing this. You probably this. didn't remember it. I, I think I don't know what, but he really is yeah. like, thank you so much. He repeated, thank you so much for doing this. That and I'm extra like, well, mile, yeah. yeah. And uh, so he was more appreciative than than sort of nitpicky. Sure. Yeah. And there's a couple things where I'd say, you know, hey, I don't know about this. There's there's a couple of anachronistic props mm-hmm. in it. He was like, nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Exactly. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to tell Stephen, nah, no, no, don't do that. But by the same token, you know, he's Stephen, so you want to tell him absolutely. You know, what it's interesting because you were talking about it in the panel, and I was thinking about you know, my dad was that guy. My dad, when he quit drinking for two years, all he did was collect trains, and our whole basement became Lionel Central. He had so many trains, so yeah, they're special, they're they're really amazing. Oh, and the Lionel people are really into it. I'll bet, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's lucky because you know, we found people who could tell us a lot about trains. Yeah, and we're really specific, and we found a guy named Gary who in Arizona who refurbished those trains for us, so we could have things that were. Although I think there, I, in fact, an earlier off mic discussion, I think there's somebody on the internet who bitches a little bit about right something being wrong. Oh, sure, like, of course, sure. <laughs> I stand by those trains, by the way. Well, you had mentioned in the uh, <clears throat> in the panel discussion 
that you had interacted with the uh, special effects guy to um, modify oh, yeah. the trains, and then you met, you threw this thing in there where you said six weeks later you wanted to kill me. Oh, or, but it, then you never elaborated. I, well, I need to know what that's all. About. Eric Rylander, who is an amazing special effects guy, mm-hmm. he retired. Right, he worked with them before, and um, Hawker brought him in to do the trains. It was supposed to be like ah, two weeks going to make this train thing. It took forever. I see. It took him weeks and weeks, and then the day he was going to murder me was because he had set the whole thing up and he made, I don't, I don't know where the miscommunication came, but I made him change the order of the trains I see. at the last minute before we, and I'm like, no, we shot him the other day and they were like this. And he's like, well, that's wrong. I said, it may be wrong, but that's the way we shot it. Like, you know, so technically the way train is set up with the right. passenger cars the versus the, sure. yeah, all yeah. that stuff. I'm like, but continuity at this point. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. we got to do it like that. And he, had it wired a certain way and so he and i were wow. over lunch fixing the wiring and he was de- i mean he wasn't even being subtle he's just like you fucking <laughs> but eric's the the greatest and those shots are all really terrific and he worked really hard like he made the train smoke more than it really like right. i sure. i made sure to get trains that could smoke and they're all like yeah that's not yeah, a smoke not and eric put a thing and he beefed up the lights in them oh cool nice. yeah i mean everything was so you bought them all yeah we yes. did. We had to buy them because we had to crash them. Right. Right. So, yeah. Well, it, it, does crashing it do that much damage to it? <laughs> no, but also we didn't really have the time or money to. Of like, course. I just wanted four sets. Sure, and at yeah. the end, we were still running a little short because the scene where Sammy opens them up at Hanukkah, uh, that was well after we shot the train wreck. So I wanted to make sure we had some pristine right. trains because, again, it's. Spielberg, you just don't yeah. know how he's, picky he's going to be, but you know he doesn't want to fix it in post. No, he's, he's really not that guy. You know? Yeah, and it's Spielberg, and you want it to be perfect. You yeah, know? I mean every frame's and it's his perfect. life. Like right. yeah. hello, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not gonna be that guy with Spielberg. I mean, obviously, he's like one of the greatest living directors. Pretty much, he's on the list anyway. Big time. Uh, yeah. So you had your prop meeting with him, and then like. Was any other questions or things that you could present to him had to have been done on set after that? Yes. So there was like no other line of communication mm-hmm. aside from that. No. But you know what? He was really, he's pretty open and gracious. And great. You know, he knows what you're, he knows you're trying to help. Like yeah, anybody right. else. It's he knows like, your job. Yeah. And, you know, if something's wrong, but like all the meals, I think I showed him a couple days before we shot. You know, and then, you know, like Molly Reese would give me a menu and we'd print out some pictures. And I'm like, is this what we have? He's like, oh, perfect. Okay, great. Great. Nice. And he was always really nice about it. Awesome. Well, then, that, you know, that, that helps. Yeah. I, but again, we we really, really worked hard. You know, yeah. I mean, like it was yeah. like, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I got down to my college weight on that movie just out of stress. It yeah, was well, really I was going to say, that's a hard way to go. Yeah, no, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Spielberg, it's like, yeah, just show up on the day with the right prop. Okay. I'm going to sleep, never. Showing up the day at the right prop, I feel like when you said that, I was like, okay, that's already giving me a lot of anxiety yeah. to think about. Because, I mean, you rent... I, I've been in the Ryan Murphy world for a while, too. But at least with him, like, he has a person that he trusts that will make those decisions that are okay. That you're like, okay, right. at least I gave it to somebody. I feel like there's not that on this. No, not really. No. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. I, 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 when I did uh, Ryan Murphy, I was pleased that at least he knew what he wanted right <laughs> okay i mean because that's the worst right when you're yeah. working with a director who doesn't know what they want and you right. keep showing them things and it's like until you nail finally show them the thing right. that they think then you're good but they don't really know how to articulate it right. that's the worst yes and, and i mean the thing about 
Steven and JJ or even working on a Marvel movie, there's, you know, that there's a, Oh, what's going to sound dumb? A higher power. There's somebody above, <laughs> yes. there's somebody above it. You know, Steven's not going to, he's going to try really hard not to let there be a bad shot. Yeah. So if you screw something up, that shot's not going to be in the movie or he's going to fix it. Right. Same with JJ. Same with the Marvel movies. You're like, Oh, or, or Cameron, you know, there was a day where he, he asked us at the last minute in New Zealand, he goes, I need like a little heads up display that goes like on an eyeglass thing. And, uh, me and one of the Kiwis, we, mocked up a thing and we threw it on the, the pilots of one of the ships and it was okay. I mean, it, it, I, it's, it's legit. I'd give myself like a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah. It, was, it was what we could do in two hours yeah. and it looked fine, but you know, it got replaced in post as I knew Jim, you know, I wasn't, I didn't go to sleep going, Oh my God, it's a terrible prop because I knew that if it was right. a terrible prop, Jim was just going to do what Jim does and fix it in post. Yeah. And it's sort of the same with Steven. There were, there were times where he said, Hey, I mean, in particular, the scene where Mitzi takes the chicken and like slides it off the pan and onto the thing. That was all, Hey, I want to do this on the day. And we did right. not have quite enough stuff to do that. Multiple takes. No, we, Oh, I had oh, a million no. chickens. Oh, okay. I bought out every, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We had um, lots of chickens, chickens, chickens but it, it was truck. actually like the, the pan because I don't think it was scripted that uh, way. Right. It wasn't anything we were sure. really, but we made it work and he was totally cool with it. Um, well, he seems like a totally cool guy. He's a pretty cool guy. He's, yeah. he's you know, he's quiet. And yeah, he's, and JJ's, he's, a, they're the same cut. How about how about Jim? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> that, 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 that's your... I don't want to put you on the spot, but what if, I don't no, th- I will I, say, I, listen, I've heard he's not A good day Miller. with Jim, no, the thing is, a good day with Jim is a great day of filmmaking. Right. Because even more so, more so than almost anybody, he's he can be really, really inclusive. Yeah. When we're doing motion capture, on the turnover days where they gave the files to Weta... Mm-hmm. They were always like really late nights and he would be there with all the geeks, you know, and anybody who was there drinking tequila in one of those little rooms <clears throat> and telling stories you really? know, about, oh man, for hours. Nice. But more importantly, and this is what's cool about him, he would want to hear your stories. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he'd be like, he'd get tired of yak and he'd go like, hey, Mikey, tell me about your first movie. Wow, and he nice. listens. Yeah. He is a very ultimately down to earth, inclusive person. And then a bad day with Jim is, you know, like a, you know, it's like a colonoscopy gone wrong. I mean, it's really terrible. (laughs) But again, the good days, he's great because he's a great filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. And he is. And he's not precious about if you have a suggestion, he'll take it. Like, again, he just wants to make a great movie. Right. And uh, he doesn't really need a lot of suggestions because he's obviously, you know, the guy. But yeah, no, he's a I'd be happy to work with him again because, again, he knows what he wants. There you go. And that usually is the case that I've discovered when people say that people are difficult to work with. It's usually because they're very particular about what they want. And if you're not able to produce it, they get cranky yeah. or frustrated, which I understand. So as long as you're, you know, working at the top of your game and you're giving it, they're, they're fine. And you're still, like, again, part. with our little heads up display, you know, he knew that he didn't ask for that. In fact, right. famously on that movie, we didn't have any money. For a movie like that, we like I I came in at a different point. All the props were going to be built by Weta, except for a handful, and one of those handfuls was the wheelchair. But they had been using a wheelchair for motion mm. capture, so, so he said, "I just want to use that wheelchair." I said, "Well, that's that somebody got it. An art director had gotten it from a company, and that was a prototype, so we really couldn't use that clearance wise." So, Lonnie 
we we had a drawing and then Lonnie did a thing and it was during the strike or something. There was there was no work, so they were able to do it really inexpensively, and we knocked out this wheelchair. That's the wheelchair right. in the movie, and I brought it out to Playa Vista, and I showed Jimmy. He goes, yeah, that's great, perfect. One thing, and he got, and he he fully owned this. He goes, I probably should have told you this before it was done, but it has to fold because there's a scene where it gets folded up when they go on the transport thing and it folds right. up. And I'm like, wow, this would be a completely different animal if we knew. Yeah. We had to fold it up. But I mean, he took responsibility for it. Yeah. He yeah. still said, just do it. How you much know, time did it. you have? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had time. I mean, we had time. We didn't have any money, but we had sure. time. And, and it was a thing. It was, it was more like, oh, how do, we, how do we keep this looking like this and still make it right. do what he wants? This is Avatar? Do. Yeah. It's funny. when I, I always find it so uh, We had time. We didn't have any money on the highest budget movie of all time. Uh, yeah, but it was, I mean, again, I could go on and on, but all that money was spent in VFX. Right, right. so much VFX. And because the plan was always to shoot the live action in New Zealand, and it was all part of an overall deal with what a digital and what a workshop, you know, the sets were built down there. Most of the props, most of the props were built down there and sourced down there. So I was at first just doing the motion capture. Right. So I didn't have a budget. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, how much to build motion capture stuff? I said, not much. We're going to be welding, you know, we're going to be brazing some wire together. That doesn't cost a lot of money. It's just dudes in, a, in an asbestos filled room right. across the street. You know, that's what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, so there wasn't really any money and there wasn't really a budget. Again, it was all spent. Right. I don't know why the wheelchair wasn't built down there either. That, <laughs> there were a few weird little things like we didn't like the computer screens. Lewis at SAT built those or he built like oh, the keyboards. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I was not, I will say that I wasn't really privy to why those things ended up in our laps. Yeah. Like the wheelchair, I would have thought that would have been built well in advance, but it yeah. wasn't. So at some point somebody said, you know, we need that wheelchair. I'm like, oh boy, well, let's work on that. And the little camera he used yeah, yeah, um, yeah. to do the video log. And actually that's one of those, that's a, that's a kind of a good story. So we had a drawing mm-hmm. and I showed Jim a drawing. He said, yeah. And I didn't like it. And I was like, man. Uh, and so I had one of the illustrators drop a different thing. And it would take hours to get an answer out of Jim on a bad day. Like I'd right. stand there, I'd stand there, literally sometimes for hours behind him, and he would pretend to know that I wasn't there or just acknowledge <laughs> that I was there, but acknowledge that he wasn't going to do anything about it. Right. Because he's doing motion capture, he's busy. He's yeah. And then every once in a while, he'd turn around and say, all right, Andy, what kind of bullshit do you want to shovel at me today? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one day, so I came back with the revised drawing, and it looked nothing like the first video log camera. And John Landau, the producer, looks at me and goes, what's that? I said, well, I don't really like that video. I, th- I don't think this is our, our best work. He goes, take yes for an answer. And I said, yeah, but he said yes to the wrong thing. He's like, take fucking yes for an answer. I'm like, <laughs> it's the wrong thing. John goes, okay, it's your funeral. And I showed Jimmy, he goes, okay, build that. And then, of course, I had to go back to Lonnie at HPR and go, hey, can we do this? Because, it was hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was really small. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Also, this time this needs a fold too. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't need a fold, but it needed to go on yeah. a mount. I mean, we had to reset it yeah. with the little numbers going. I mean, it was a deal, but it's in the movie. Yeah, you know, I and mean, it's cool. So, Star Trek. Yeah. You did the first. Was the first no, one you did? Uh, JJ's Russell, ba- Russell Bobbitt did the first one. Right. He did 2009, and then JJ directed Into Darkness as right. well. So. And then. You did one after the one with JJ. Yeah, I did right? Beyond with Justin Lin. Was that the first and only time you worked with JJ? Uh, 
you kind of, I mean, I, it's the first time I worked with JJ. Oh yeah. Cause you've done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So I worked with him and then they hired me to do, um, Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, right. I mean, I've interacted with them. In fact, I've gotten hired on Star Trek four twice, a movie that's never happened. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> Is it ever going to happen? God, I hope so. Yeah. Right. I've, I, I was so depressed when the last, I mean, we're all ready to go to Atlanta to make it. And you worked with Scott Chambliss on one of them, right? Which one was that? Uh, what well, he uh, he one? did, yeah, he did Into Darkness, and then he started Beyond, and then when Bob Orsi, the director, left, Scott right. left with him. I see. You were go. you a, were you a Trekkie at all before this? I've seen every episode of the original series, yes. and I've seen all the movies. Yeah, I saw one episode of Next Generation. Yeah, and that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, I just I, that was a boring pilot, and I never watched any others. And I think it's also sort of the age you are. You know. Right. Are you a next generation guy, Mikey? I I've seen every piece of Star Wars everything and I've never seen anything of actually I have seen I have seen Into Darkness. Okay. I, so I have seen some of the newer movies, but that's I haven't seen any of the classic stuff. Huh. None Wait, of, it. The, of the series? Yeah, I haven't seen any of the oh, series. Really? Classic series, classic movies. I haven't seen any Star Trek anything. Just a couple of the new newer movies. That's about it. Oh yeah. Well, cause... you got a new baby, so you've got nothing but time. So you should <laughs> you should probably get on that. Start fixing that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a generational thing because my son and I go over this back and forth. It's like he's a total next generation guy, and I'm like, no, man, Kirk. I mean, <laughs> well, Melissa, my assistant, she's all about the next generation. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, you know what I think? It's I, I want to see rocks move when people get thrown into them. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's the kind of thing. Well, if you want to see that, just watch the first movie I was that I was the assistant art director on. If you want to see some rocks move when people <laughs> just walk by them. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are probably shows that if we went back and watched now, we would appreciate. It, again, we were just at an age where we were doing other stuff, not watching. Well, I don't know. I, I think that, again, we're devolving rapidly. But <laughs> The, the original Star Trek, just the camera, the work, the, the cinematography, the angles, the, everything was just, I think it was so well done. I mean, I don't know, maybe, again, it is because we hadn't seen anything like that before then, but I think it holds up, stands up to, and Mikey, you, gotta, you have to watch. It's also got a really Star great Trek. message. It's just, it's like, yeah, it's, exactly. it's a really, yeah. especially if you saw it at the time. Right. You know, it was, it was a it was a sci-fi world, and it was, it was way ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, good God, the I mean, the gunfight, the OK Corral, I mean, all that stuff. The, just the diversity insane. in it was was really it was pretty impressive for the time. It really was. Roddenberry was amazing. Yeah. So it's a so it's a privilege. The gunfight at the on. OK Corral. Yeah. So that's all I had. Yeah, you talk about Tombstone or t- Star Trek? <laughs> no, that, I'm telling you, watch that episode first. Okay. It's <laughs> pretty awesome. Fair. All right. Fair. <laughs> For real, go to go. Um, what else was I gonna? Uh, I want to know. I want to know when. Um, because you you assisted for years mm-hmm. and stuff years. like that. Yeah, and we actually haven't had a lot of masters that didn't go straight to mastering or doing that stuff. So, when did you start to make the transition more seriously to prop master? Uh, when Brad and I didn't want to work together for a while. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. But he still Your gave you the divorce. jobs? He's like, I don't want to work with you, so here's a different job no, you can do yourself. No, uh, we didn't talk for a few years. Oh, really? Yeah, we just sort of had, you know, probably enough of... Well, I think in retrospect, <laughs> if, we had, if we had taken a break, he was really smart, and when sure. he did Coneheads, he just came up and said, you know what, we need to take a break. And I was bummed out. But, you didn't get to do cone heads? Well, no. He got me the job as the onset dresser. 
Oh. I'm like, this is a scam. You get the best of both worlds. You get me, because you know I'm going to and do work for you too anyway. So right. was, but so I was the onset dresser on Coneheads. Yeah. And she got me that job, That's which was fun. Yeah. Um, and we probably should have done the same thing on Bruce Almighty. I was having my second kid in the middle. He was going through some stuff. It wasn't a, you know, I don't think it was anybody's peak time. And he had already worked with Shadiac. So they had a shorthand. I don't know. Everybody was having a... Have you ever worked on one of those movies where everyone's having a great time except you? <laughs> yes. Once, yeah. Okay. Well, that, was, that was Bruce Almighty for me. I mean, I was tired and I just didn't... I don't know. It didn't... It was not a great experience for a lot of, a lot of reasons. More and, for personal reasons or for... I just didn't buy it. I don't want to be mean about the yeah. movie because I'm sure it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't sort of buying into the whole thing and everybody was like... And then Brad and I just weren't getting along. We weren't really talking very much. Yeah. And uh, so at the end of it, he was going to go on and do Superman with Brett Ratner, which didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I don't think I want to do this next movie with you. And I said, no, that's fine, because I don't really want to do the next movie either. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, it is. And, and, it, and it, you know, it's a, it's a thing that, again, it's sort of painful, but you're like, oh, you're right. This is not a thing. We, we should probably take a break, right? right. So more people did that. I mean, when you say, because when you say it like that, it's, you don't really, I guess people who aren't in the street don't understand. It's like, you, we, we do spend... More than twelve hours a day. Oh, I've eaten more meals with Brad. I mean, over the course, like when we 100%. went on, on Lorenzo's on striking distance alone, we ate every meal together. Like exactly. you're hanging out all weekend. It's yeah. all that's all we did. And both Brad and I on the weekends we shop for props, or we, you know, yeah. most of the time. And if we went to the movies, we went to the movies together. So right. he was smart. He was smarter than I in that. In that, you know, about that. And yeah. so I think you know Bruce Almighty. I just like I said, I just didn't buy it. I wasn't into the whole thing. And uh. Yeah. And it was hard, and Jim Carrey wanted a million different things, and Jim was nice, and we had done Batman Forever. So there's nothing nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't a great experience. And sure. so we stopped working together, and then Kurt Corwin nicely called me, I think, in the middle and said, hey, do you want to, you know, I know you want to go out on your own. Do you want to be my second unit prop master on Haunted Mansion, maybe? I might have this screwed up, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, chronologically. Right. But anyway, so I worked for Kirk, and then I was Kirk's, or maybe he just offered me an assistant job. Anyway, so I was Kirk's assistant on two great movies and worked for him on Haunted Mansion, and that was great because it's always great to work for someone else. I mean, that's one of the great things about Absolutely. this business is all the different experiences, which right. is why yeah. I would like to do set dressing in between sometimes or yeah. do whatever you can because you see how other people do it. So working with Kirk was different than working for Brad. So you get to learn. To, and I worked for Don Milojevic on Hot Shots. Nice. Oh, you know. yeah. Don's awesome. <laughs> Don's awesome. He's great. Yeah, Don's great. <laughs> and that was I mean, at that point, I'm like, oh, I hate all these stupid spoof movies. They're dumb. It's the most fun I'd ever had working up to that. I point. would imagine, unbelievably fun. Right. It was just you. There's one day on that, on that movie, and it's not even that funny in the movie. Like, it's not that funny when I watch it, but it's the day we're on Air Force One with Lloyd Bridges, who is <laughs> hilarious. Wow. And the whole crew. I mean, maybe it's not funny in the movie to me because I know it's all looped. Sure. Because we all laughed, like out loud. I remember being under a desk, like trying to stifle a laugh. And then I heard the director laughing out loud. I'm like, ah. Oh. And then the whole crew's laughing out loud. Right. It was just oh, awesome. fun. He, yeah, he's just funny. one of those guys who, he doesn't even have to say anything. He's hilarious. Oh, my God. It was so funny. Wow. And Charlie Sheen was great. Right. Like, it was just, that was that was super fun and super physically hard because, like, all the guns and all the ammo. And, right. Yeah. And they put me in the movie. It's great. They put and, you in the movie? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm an Iraqi soldier. <laughs> But career high point. I was going to ask you about it's a special that. Oscar. Yeah. Well, it is that we, the only time you've ever been in a film? I mean, you know what? I'm 
Batman and Robin's hands. Nice. Which is pretty oh. cool. Brad got his voice. I think we actually shot him in Lorenzo's oil, but I think then it's just his voice. No, it's always fun. Yeah. Uh, anybody who looked vaguely Semitic got a mustache and an AK-47 on Hot Shots Part <laughs> 2. Um, anybody on the crew, because there just weren't enough extras. Right. And it was good because we all looked alike. And so I'm at the beginning of, like, if you see guys running around firing machine guns, sure. a lot of times I'm in the front and they're following me. Uh, so I got to do a lot of stuff and yeah. I got to wear their uniform. I think yeah, I, it's I, fun. Yeah, it was super fun. I mean, yeah. I would just literally dress up like a soldier in the morning. And then the day that we we're supposed to shoot a scene, I looked at the first day and I said, Hey, the guy that's uh, sorry to, uh, go back, but <laughs> I remember fine. reading that script and I just met Don. He's like, Oh, here, read the script. And I laughed out loud at, at a certain scene. I said, boy, if I was ever in a movie, that's the scene I'd want to do. So six months later, I point out to the first AD that the guy who's supposed to be in the scene just got choked out by Charlie Sheen the scene before. And he looks at Ernie Arsati, who is the stuntman who fell into the light fixture on the Poseidon Adventure. Oh my so God. Ne- I never oh stopped God. being an Auburn. I never I'm like, oh man, oh Poseidon God. Adventure. <laughs> dude, that. I've seen that movie 13 dude, times. Dude, as a kid, yeah. I was just like, that's the stunt, right? right? That is like the coolest right? thing you've ever seen and a real person did it. And it was Ernie. In the I, original yes. Poseidon yeah. Adventure. Yeah, it was amazing. Yes. yes. And uh, so Ernie's like, I don't have anybody else. And Dennis Stewart, the first day, he goes, well, it's Andy's fault. Make him do it. And I'm already standing there dressed like a soldier. And I'm like, okay. And it's the scene where Charlie Sheen blows up the Energizer Bunny with an Iraqi <laughs> soldier. And everybody was super kind. And I am god awful. Um, but Dennis said, I'm going to make sure you never forget me. Hey, Jim, to Jim Abrams, can Andy say yeah at the end of it? Nice. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, eh, it may not be enough. One line. He goes, okay, Charlie, shoot at Andy and make him fall over that. So it was technically a stunt. And then Bill Badalato, the producer, came up to me after he goes, you know, I can't pay you as a prop person, right. as an actor, for the same day. I said, look, whatever. I mean, it's all fun. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Exactly. And then I got paid for both anyways. I mean, <laughs> nice. I get residuals, and it was super fun. Ooh. And I am awful. I mean, <laughs> but I'm in the trailer. In fact, we're it's still shooting the tra- movie. We're still shooting when the There's trailer a, comes out. Right. And, you know, you're in the trailer. And, and Jim Abrams came up to me and goes, watch the trailer. I can't cut you out of the fucking movie now. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's fun. Mikey, you ever been on camera yet? No. Nope. You will. Man, I don't know. Do they do that anymore? I don't know. It gets harder and harder. In fact, <laughs> there's a scene in Avatar where Josh McLaughlin actually suggested that he and I be pilots in a ship. <laughs> and Jim and Jim like looked at us and said, eh, too old and ugly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he may have just said too old. I don't know. I heard it ugly too. I heard but, it uh, felt ugly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it does you know, happen. I, okay. There's... I, I'm in an episode of horror stories as, oh, nice. but but not like as a person. Like it's sure. in one of the graphics where they're scrolling. Like she looks at a news article and it's front and center because like she th- she thinks her husband killed somebody, and then she's right. going through and then there's a picture on the of who's the actual killer and right. I'm the actual killer. Oh, nice. So I put nice. it in there and it's like the front and center shot that it comes up and it's just a mug shot of me. So that's right. awesome. That's. That's yeah. the closest to on camera. Yeah, or, I've been. or how about you've probably done this to Andy, where you've been on camera but not seen on camera because you're handling a prop or something. There's a few. In yeah. fact, yeah. in Hot Shots Part Two, Charlie Sheen holds out his hand, <laughs> right. and an unseen person puts a sword into it. Yeah, in complete nonsense. That's me. You're and they debate. In fact, I think they said if I hadn't already been in the movie, they would have just had Andy, the prop guy. Right, handing Charlie a sword for no, yeah. reason, like in the middle of a, of yeah. a gunfight. Nice. Hands. There's uh, that's a huge thing. I think that happens all the time because you. When you have to teach an actor how to do something, mm. like 
and you learn yourself. I feel like you do it so much to try to like get it down to teach the actor that you master it. And then once the actor can't do it enough times on camera, they're just like, oh, just give it to him. Right. <laughs> and you do it, and you're like, okay, that, there we go. We just saved time and got the shot and put it out. That's happened quite a few times. Well, yeah, exactly. I right. have the inverse. I tried to show Jay Chow, who was Kato in Green Hornet, okay. something oh, yeah. cool with a knife, and Seth Rogen just looks at me and goes, dude, you're trying to show <laughs> trying to show Jay how to do something cool? Give it up. Like, it's, there's no way. <laughs> Like that guy was super cool, and I'm like trying to show him like some cool move with a knife, looking like a complete idiot. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I did this movie once called uh, um, uh, "Only You," and nobody ever saw it. It was uh, Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey oh, Jr. I saw the movie. Oh, okay, it was yeah. a love story. Yeah, um, and they shot most of it or a lot of it in Italy, and some of it shot in Pittsburgh. I did the Pittsburgh part of it, and there was a scene where um, her mother-in-law comes up to her and she's holding her wedding dress, this God awful, ugly wedding dress that she wants her to wear in the, uh, uh, for her wedding. And so there's a scene, they're all gathered around in a circle and she hands it to her, but the freaking dress was weighed a ton, you know? And she's like, Oh, it's really hard to hold. And you know, we're like shooting. So they're like, Oh, well the grips are like, well, let me get a C stand in here and we'll get the thing up. I'm like, no, I got it, man. And I like run, get underneath it and I'm holding the dress box up. And and then they're like, okay, rolling. And they start rolling camera. And then I realize that I'm staring. I'm down there, and I'm staring at Marissa Tomei's crotch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, this is my job. And I'm in the, and, and I'm in the movie doing that. <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I guess that's what you, there's certain things you just hope to not be in a movie as a certain character. I mean, what Brad Elliott was telling us about how he was a dead pilot and that, no, oh right, I, I would be that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. No, Star Wars. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, there's a there was a fun moment actually in the other movie I did for Don uh, Mafia. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where uh, somebody's denying that they had a bunch of people killed, and there's an insert of a check to the bullet store for one hundred forty seven thousand dollars, <laughs> and it was just on TV on cable. And my kid walks in, and he goes, "Hey, that's your handwriting." Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. A little nod, a little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah, or there's always the, the there's a little bug in there. Um, there's always that scenario, uh, uh, usually a prop scenario where you have to like uh, throw something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have Oswey to. Josue Rodriguez, the, who's been my assistant on a few movies, really good at that. Yeah, of yeah. nailing a mark. Oh and yeah, throwing things. Yeah, yeah, really good. I'm fairly mediocre. Yeah. Although you know what, I was really good. Throwing a batarang on a cable around a girder and hitting it and catching the light. Nice. Yeah. I practiced that. <laughs> That's always a scary moment, you know, because everybody's watching you, you know, and then if you don't get it right, you're like, okay. That's yeah. one that I nailed on the first take. Nice. And I was like, okay, we got to stop shooting because it's never going to happen again. It's never right. going to look like that. Yeah. But, but that's the fun part. Yeah. It's the fun. I, I had to uh, do, um, I did a movie house guest with Sinbad and Phil Hartman, <laughs> God bless his soul. And uh, we had to do, um, throw a basketball into a sunroof of a car. Oh, really? From a, from <laughs> on top of like a 12-foot ladder. So I did that. And I, <laughs> that, that was fun. Awesome. Yeah, they have that's trick the shots fun. that do that now. There's there's a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, you're, you're mastering now. You're mastering big films. Um, do you miss being on set as much? I mean, are you usually on set? Yeah. I mean, as the movies get bigger and dumber, it's harder to be on set right. like right. you want to be Yeah, because you're always doing something else and it kind of sucks. Again, I'm yeah. I'm jealous. Like Brad's always on the set and I'm ah. jealous and I try to do that and then I go, oh, this is really dumb hmm. because 
you got to be focused. Right. And you can't be focused. Right. Or I can't. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. I cannot be focused. And I'll find myself thinking about something we're doing next week and going, uh, where did I put that? <clears throat> where did they put that? What right, happened? Yeah. Right. It's just not good. So Yeah. yeah for me, it's kind of like, you're, you know, if you're a chef, it's like you, you have to make the dinner. You know, and then you give it to the waiter to bring to set uh, or to bring to the table. You know, it's like, yeah, it's nice to bring it to the table and get all the accolades of all that. But then you're worried about, oh, I got another dinner I got to make back at the, you know, exactly. for the next day. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. It's like, yeah, I love being on set because I like being in that moment, you know, because you could sink or swim on the set, you know, and it's fun, the energy. That's why I got into props. Right. You know, because I wanted to be, you know, in the mix. Yeah. But, uh, but it's hard, you know, when you're in. You're responsible for everything, yeah. not to like be thinking about the next thing because oh, yeah. it's well, already done. When we were doing Into Darkness and we went <clears throat> to the National Ignition Facilities, which was unbelievable. Like that place was just... Where is that? Lawrence Livermore, Labor- Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. Okay. It's uh, Northern California. Okay. And there, it was just in the news where they're trying to uh, do nuclear fusion. Ooh. Fusion, fission. Anyways, they're trying to make some energy. Yeah. And it's just, it, we used it as the warp core. And the people there are incredibly smart. And most of them were Trekkies. It was really fun. And we're doing one of those signature JJ shots where he's tilting the camera and everybody's leaning. Right. And we're, Josue and I were throwing boxes past the camera to simulate movement. It was so much fun. And then, of course, we ended a day early. I'm like, great. I'm finally on the set. I'm finally having fun. And we're going to cut a day out. Right. That's, that's my luck. <laughs> Did um I have a question about with, with um because you started you in the DC world I guess with like a lot of those bigger movies uh, working for Brad right yeah um is that and then you started mastering Marvel stuff were those connected at all or is it just no <laughs> no in fact oh I was gonna say about Brad Brad very kindly offered me to share his credit on GI Joe oh really and that's the only reason I could get a big movie. Is because he gave you that, and now you yeah. have a prop master credit on a big movie. Absolutely, he called me in the middle of Avatar, and we hadn't, we hadn't, and you know what? I did a little bit of work for him on Rush Hour Three, mm-hmm. and then he called me in the middle of Avatar, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting in my little office in New Zealand. He said, "Do you want to do the second unit?" I go, ah, "I don't know if I want to do the second unit. I'm doing this Avatar thing. It might turn into something. You know, maybe it'll be big. I should probably just." And he goes, "Listen, the second unit on GI Joe is bigger than most movies' first units, so I'll." You know, I'll share my credit. I said, "Well, that's really nice, but you shouldn't." You know, what do you? He goes, "Listen, I don't." It, you know, to his credit, you know, being he was just super generous. Sure. And then the UPM, who I knew, sent me a crew list and had both our names. I'm like, "Well, they're really going out on a limb." And uh, this is a story not for, not for now, but anyway. So I said yes, and that really enabled me to get jobs on a big movie. In fact, when I interviewed for Green Hornet, the UPM was the one who got me that interview. And I guess Neil Moritz, the producer, had said, hey, what's this? He was smart. He said, what's this? Why are there two prop masters on G.I. Joe? And so she called me and said, listen, you got to send me a little thing and explain what this was. And then he also called John Landa, who apparently was really nice about it, and said, oh, no, you know, he's a real prop master. So, oh. So John, but, but, but so I didn't have to lie anymore. John did it for me. But you, <laughs> got the, but you got Avatar before all that as a prop master, so. Yeah, but I really fell into that. How? So, well, we were done... Anyways, there's um, there's this lead man, Bob Lucas, who I worked for on a movie called Forever Young with Mel Gibson a million years right, ago. Yeah. Right, yeah. Bob and Jay Hart. And Bob was the loveliest man. And he was doing, quote-unquote, set dressing on a mocap movie 
on Beowulf or on Monster House. Okay. And he's, you know, I was looking for a job. I think I, I think I was just getting done with something with Kirk. And I chickened out of, Brad did try to turn me on to a job then, which was uh, the movie Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner about the Coast Guard. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The, it's not the Patriot, it's the something. Right. Yeah, Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. I chickened I out of that. About. I choked. I could have had that movie and I was like, ah, it's too big. And I was like, sure. and I was talking to Bob and he said, well, I'm doing this thing. We got to solder wire together if you want to do that for me. And I'm like, sure. More soldering wire. And I said, okay, I'll do that. So I did it on Monster House, and then I did it on Beowulf. And then I'm sitting on a movie in Pittsburgh, and I got a call from Norm, the art director, and he said, do you want to come and do some props on Avatar? And I said, well, what do you mean do props? And he goes, well, why don't you just come in, and we'll, we'll figure it out. So I went in, and they said, okay, so you're going to do some props. I kept saying, well, is there a prop master? And they're like, no, but we really don't. They were They were – the mocap world, and again, this is this right. thing you can cut out or not at your own discretion. We're really playing it fast and loose with the rules. Right. Sure. They decided that they weren't filming, quote unquote, a movie, so they didn't need to have a prop master. Right. And so Local four, what, Look 44 wasn't fighting them on this, apparently. Interesting. And so there wasn't a prop master. Yeah. And then, so I'm, you know, we're building, me and Jack It's Cornelius. new technology, though, so I guess that's understandable in a way. Yeah, it's a scam. There's, yeah. actor, there's <laughs> actors being yeah. filmed, right. quote unquote, filmed on a right, major right, right. Okay, yeah, picture yeah, yeah. lot. I, I call scam. And yeah. the thing is, on the Bob Zemeckis movies, uh, Robin Miller and Mike Costaldo did those. You right. Know, they, they, did, they were real prop people. Right, right, right. So anyways, but they were trying to get away with it. So we're just sitting in this little room, me and Jack Cornelius, and we're, you know, bending wire and soldering it together. And then one day Jim goes, where's the lighter? And everybody's looking around and they're like, what are you, well, where's the lighter? And somebody <laughs> goes, well, who's the prop master? Who's, like Jim actually says, well, who's the fucking prop master? And, and everybody's looking at me like, fuck you. I got a thing that says, you know, like prop guy or whatever my deal memo says. Yeah. Well, five minutes later, there's a new deal memo that I have to that's sign. Wow. Now I'm the prop master. Wow. Yeah. And that's literally that's, how that happened. You should that's hold a, on to that lighter. <laughs> but was it a lighter? It was like, I, it's literally something we painted. It was a Tic Tac box we painted. Gray I see. At the time. For, but, uh, right. No, and Rick Carter was really nice. And Rick Carter came over and said, no, no, you are the prop master. And I'm like, okay, because no one was clear about that. Like, right. yeah. literally, the UPM wasn't clear about it. Wow. The art directors weren't clear about it. They're just like, because they had already been ro- rolling for like six months or for yeah. six years for all I knew at that point. They might have been doing it for a few years. Were they capturing bits here and there? Yeah. And this was still the testing phase. Like, I, like it wasn't greenlit to go. Yeah. And so you're on that when G.I. Joe becomes your frontline credit when really you're on the movie already that's probably going to become your frontline yeah, credit. Yeah, in fact, I came back I came back at Christmas. I did two weeks for Brad. I went back to New Zealand for two weeks. Then I came back and started working for Brad on G.I. Joe. So I took that entire right. year off, and then I came back and did six more months on Avatar. Oh, so I did 20 wow. months. Back in New Over Zealand? No, uh, here in all town. In, yeah, at Playa Vista. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It was supposed to be two weeks of reshoots. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then jumped right into the Green Hornet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Which was phenomenal. It was right? such a good experience. I'll bet. Yeah. That must have been Super fun. Seth is great. Michelle's hilarious. John Schwartzman's a great DP. Owen Patterson, the designer, was great. It was really great. So was that then your... With those few movies, then did they... Did you like seek out the Amazing Spider-Man, or did did you get a call for that? Well, there's two funny stories. Somewhere in there, I did Shaggy Dog, which I got oh thanks to Kirk because I did Christmas with the Cranks with Kirk, mm. and I got along really well with Tim Allen. Nice. And he's 
his assistant said, oh, Tim wants to know if you want to work on this movie. I said, well, you know, I'm trying to move up. And she goes, well, he can put your name in for Prop Master. I'm like, no, I shouldn't do that. But he did. And I didn't get the job. Like they, they were, they flat out were like, nope, not yeah. of experience. Yeah. Didn't get the job. When the movie came back up, because it shut down, it came back up, I called the designer back and she took an interview and I got that job. Hmm. Which led me to some, what was I, where was I going with this? I was going somewhere. Oh, Amazing Spider-Man. So I mean, but so like that was a job that I really fought for. Like I, I think Doug Fox got it instead of me. Doug got it instead of me. Then it shut down. I was talking to him. He's like, "Oh, that movie might be coming back up." And I like ran down to the ISS phone. I called Leslie McDonald, the production designer, and I, you know, fought for that job. Sure. Amazing Spider-Man. I really wanted to do. Yeah. Really bad because I'm a huge comic book fan. Yeah. I mean, I. Look, I've met Jack Kirby and I've met Stan Lee, like two of the coolest things. Oh, ever really? But I met Jack Kirby when I was like 14 years old and took the train down to San Diego Comic-Con when it was just yeah. a bunch of old Jews smoking cigars at card tables. Yeah. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Wow. Um, so when Amazing Spider-Man, when that opportunity came up, it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I think Doug Harlocker had, them, had it when it was Spider-Man 3. Yeah. And then when that went down, it was all new people. And I'm... Oh, and it was Michael Grillo from Green Hornet yeah. who put my name up for it. Michael Grillo, the, the producer? producer? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's great. And guy. he got me in there to meet Mark Webb. And then Michael Riva interviewed me and everything was great. And Michael Riva took forever to say yes. Wow. And I sent him a very impassioned email. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I again, he was the, the nicest, nicest man. I cannot say enough good things about Michael Riva. And I'm really, like, one of my few regrets is that, like, everybody talks about him because he's since passed away on a Quentin movie. Um, like, well, we had all these great meals with Michael, and we'd always do go drinks with Michael, and I never did any of that stuff. I was just so overwhelmed on Amazing Spider-Man, I just worked. Yeah. And it was, but it was great. He was, he's a real collaborator, and he was a wonderful guy. And at the rap party, he came up to my then wife, and he said, oh, your husband's, I want your husband to be the prop master in every movie I do from now on. And right then and there, he offered me the Quentin movie, and I'd already signed on to Into Darkness. Wow. And uh, Which Quentin movie? Uh, Django. Django. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'm going to go down to do this movie, and I'd love you to do it with me. And I, I said, I really feel sorry. I, I, I'm really sorry. I already said yes. He goes, okay, I get it. It's in town. It's JJ. It's Star Trek. But he goes, before you take another movie, you call me. And I was like, it, it, it's so gratifying that a production designer of that yeah, skill level, sure. you know, asked me that. So I'll always remember that. And he was just really nice because obviously, you know, I didn't know much what I was doing. And Amazing Spider-Man was giant. Yeah. As was Star Trek. Like both those movies were so overwhelming to do. Oh, but. But it's so, I mean, to me, as a comic book fan, like to get to build the web shooters, like there's yeah. nothing better. Like I built the web shooters. Yeah. Like I'm still like, a, this is, this is, and they actually had a design for them. And Kim Barrett, who designed it, who also designed Green Hornet, had an illustrator, a really talented illustrator, but all of the web shooters, that's one of those times when there was an approved web shooter. I'm like, this is garbage. Nice. This is really bad. Yeah. It looks like something, which they later went to. Marvel later got to that. It looks like something Tony Stark would design. Yeah. And I was like, it's cool, but it's not right for the movie we're making. Right. And they said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, this is what I would do. And they're like, okay. Nice. And, uh, and I remember the, having to go, a few of us had to go meet Kevin Feige in the boardroom at Sony. And I'm like, what are we meeting Kevin Feige for? Yeah. And, you know, Marvel wasn't quite sure. what it was, but I'm like, it's still, it's a huge deal for me. Yeah. Right? right. 
And they're like, well, he wants to see the web shooters. He wants to see the costume. He wants to see some Absolutely. set deck stuff. So we went there and, you know, I'm like expecting a big thing. And he looks at the drawing. He looks at the mock-up we made. He goes, cool. And when we left, <laughs> I'm like, is that okay? And they go, oh, yeah, that's like his highest form of compliment. Like, oh, cool, right. you're great. good. And I'm like, okay, great. He said he, if he hadn't liked him. But so that's a super, that was a super big moment, building those web shooters. No because doubt. we spent so much time doing that. In fact, I filmed my version of i took a video camera with my assistant down to like the set mm. and i said this is what we would do like these these are the steps because we had to come up with it all because mm -hmm. it wasn't really in the script and i said he would do this and do this and we filmed me doing it with my nice. hands yeah and i showed it at the dp and i showed it to the director and we used some of those shots i mean not everything of course because sure. what the hell um but yeah like that i said this is these are the beats that i think we need to do and they really took it seriously it was, again super gratifying and i think that movie's really really bitching yeah the stunt work is amazing like yeah. watching a guy again it's another one of those moments right sitting in new york watching a guy swing under the bridge in real life oh, is right. like this and, is cool yeah. Yeah. and they're paying me yeah, yeah no yeah. i'm like i'm standing outside <laughs> drinking coffee watching a guy swing on a bridge this is so cool i know i mean it's it's like we were talking about before we started recording it's like you know think about retiring it's like oh man that's gonna be a big <laughs> letdown <laughs> you know james Cronin always re reminds me that i once told uh the producer of the batman movies peter mcgregor scott like i mean i do this for free it's like so much fun right? yeah i mean we're spending other people's money to learn cool stuff especially in those days where you know, it wasn't going on the internet. It was like, I went to every foundry in Los Angeles because yeah. Brad and Barbara Lingan decided to make bat props out of aluminum. Yeah. So we had to figure out how to do that. And Matt Sweeney's guys had to like grind a bunch of metal and all that stuff was super cool. And I'm like, man, like I got to drive all over the valley yeah. learning how to do super cool stuff. That's, That's the best part about yeah. props, right? We oh, get man. to do something new and different almost every time. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, you know, in any in most other crafts, it's the same thing, just right. a different movie. No, we get to learn all these new skills. And, and again, you sort of fall into a niche, but I've also tried not to fall in sure. too big a niche. In all the superhero movies, there's always something different. Right, so. absolutely. And uh, you find that you're usually involved in the design process of depends on where you come in i mean right um you know some movies again they had a web shooter when i showed up luckily there was time for me to make an impact some movies there's not time right and some movies sure. frankly you don't want there to be time like you walk in you go what you don't have this <laughs> right. come on and it's I been the script for two years right right i don't yeah. have enough time right and so you wish that they had thought about something that's such an integral part what about on the, the star trek uh, did you inherit a lot of uh, you know, Russell did a lot of great work, and the design of some of that stuff is amazing. I mean, the only thing we tried to do, and I had a lot, a lot of talks with JJ about this, it's kind of like you get a new iPhone every year or every two years, right? right? So there's no need to redesign the phaser. But right. like Russell had that amazing thing where that you know went from stun to kill. Right. Russell's was mechanical with a spring. I just thought, well, maybe we can make it electronic and make it a little more perfect. And so that's what we did. You know, yeah, but, but sure. we were yeah. trying to. And the same thing, like when we went to Beyond. You know, they don't really care. It's not like some shows where they just want to sell toys. Right. Like, they don't care if you change right. it. So you sort of have to make, you have to justify it, right? Right. And, you know, they're like, well, can't we use the old phasers? I said, yeah, we can, but there's just not enough of them. So we have to build them anyways. We're going to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big fight. 
and I didn't really care because again, Russell's stuff like his insignias, he made them out of um, 3D printed material. We made them out of metal. Mm-hmm. So we just took his a lot of his designs sure. and just two point out of them. Right, uh, which is what you should do, right? Yeah. Because you, you know if you're watching a legacy thing, you want to see something new come out of it. Exactly, but just tweak it just enough. Uh, yeah, you don't have like I don't I didn't feel my need to you know to make my mark and go. I'm going to design the one yeah. thing I did fight for. On Beyond, and I really tried to get into both movies in a real credible way, and always failed. Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you go way back, Mikey, you don't know this, but there's two kinds of phasers in the original series. There's one that looks like a TV remote control, and that right. fits into the top of the pistol grip phaser. So I wanted to take the pistol phasers that you know Russell had started, and we had refined, and put those into like a short-barreled phaser rifle, and it wow. did, and it's so bitchin'. And Lewis's guys did a great job, and they are. Just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, they're in the movie for like a <laughs> second. And like, we were gonna, you know, like, I kept saying, hey, we can do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, there could be a shot where like Kirk puts one together. I'm like, yes, this is gonna be so cool. And it didn't happen. <laughs> it there's didn't li- happen. literally not enough time in the, in the script for that to happen. Wow. But it was cool. And that's like one of those things where I'm like, okay, this is, I'm gonna make my mark by, you know, because we, on those movies, it was really important. We spent a lot of time, there's an auction book when they auctioned all the props from Sotheby's. We had that auction book so I could look at really good pictures yeah. of like communicators. Right. And so as we were refining stuff or building new stuff, we're like, let's go back to the legacy stuff and see what elements we can put in it. And and that everybody was really supportive of that. I think mostly we cared. I think yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. it looks cool and moved on. You have you know? to care though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well look, we spent so much time, spent every waking hour. Yeah. I I've Talked a couple people. I might have, maybe did I say this? You did. Yeah, <laughs> I've talked a couple people out of doing props. I'm like, unless you really care about 100%. it, 100. It's not for you, you know. No. Unless you want to think about this stuff on the weekends and like go to a store and go, oh, that would be a cool container, right? You know. I mean, yeah, that's funny you say that because like on the uh, um, Alias, of course, we didn't have any money on that. It's a TV show, you right. know. So, and it was before JJ started doing all of his big features, but there was a lot of gadgets yeah. in that series you know and there was all the rambaldi stuff from the 14th century or 15th century um and a lot of times they would just write small black device yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like what the hell's a small black device but that was your indication that you get to do something and create something but a lot of times i found that manufacturing things from the ground up was it's it, brutal it, yeah not enough time and not enough money so i started finding things and refabricating them. Well, you have a kinder and more healthy perspective on that because I think I may have told one of the writers on one of those movies, if you write super cool piece of tech one more time, right. I'm going to find a super cool piece of tech and beat you to death with it. Because like, <laughs> like, that is just, that is writer's code for we don't know what this is. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, on some of the early uh, Alias uh, series um, where our uh, UPM was Sarah Kaplan. I don't know if you've ever worked with her. She does oh, mostly yeah. television, she but she's a tiger. Yeah. Okay, and, and she was, she's not somebody who you want to get on the wrong side of. But at the same time, I learned to respect her because she knew what was doable, what wasn't, and she had an eye for, um, for the theme and for the art of what you were doing as well. But she just didn't suffer fools. Yeah. And I respect her a lot because we would do a concept meeting and she would literally take the script the script and throw it across the table at the writer and say go back and make write wow. something that we can produce 
It's like, jeez. Okay. Nice. Yeah, it was a uh, it was fascinating. Yeah. But, uh, um. Yeah, it was great because again, like with JJ, um, once he found out, once he discovered that he could trust you, you had a lot of carte blanche to to come up with whatever designs you wanted, and it was it was a lot of fun. I mean. Again, I don't know if you've watched the Alias series, but all those old Rambaldi stuff, that was a lot of fun to make. And again, all, all this stuff at the end, you know, it went to the Disney prop house and then just disappeared. Yeah. And it's like, that was before people right. really, it was right before people started realizing that these props have value. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because God knows there's like so much stuff that just gets thrown out. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so again, I mentioned before that you know in your career you've you've been on the road a lot. You've done a lot of on location work, right? You know, I, I, when I had young kids, I tried to dial that back. In right. Fact, the movie that I, I didn't do the Shady Act movie, I didn't do Patch Adams with Brad because my first son had just been born, and I worked for Tim on Eight Millimeter instead. Right. I'm like, I got to stay in town. Um, but you know, it's also sort of a perk. I mean, I've sure. got to go cool places. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. So, I mean, for people who are, you know, just getting started and haven't done a lot of uh, on-location work, what's the, what the, what are some of the challenges that, uh, I mean, again, there are a lot of people who work in secondary markets, so, you know, they're just on location. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, my first no. rule of location is every place is great for a month and every place sucks after four months. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're just tired of it. I right. mean, I had a... I could look out in the ocean from my room in New Zealand, and man, after however long it was, I'm like, I just want to get home. Yeah, it's too far away. Yeah. Um, no, the the two things that I would say, it's hard finding people in secondary markets mm. who just do props. Right. Um, particularly when I went to New Mexico, all the resumes I got were a preponderance of grip, electrician, and camera guys. Who right, because like, they're mixed locals, right? Right. Yeah. And same in Atlanta. Atlanta is a lot better now because they people have been there. Yeah, and, you, and I like I had a great crew in the last. Right. Month. Yeah. Brett Chapman, Nathan Alexander, Kel. Like I just had a great people. Sure. So I got really lucky. Yeah. Um. You know, storage is always an issue, oddly, right. because again, when like when you do some of these franchise movies, security is super tight. I mean, we we were take it very seriously. Yeah. On the Marvel movies, right. you have to keep everything locked down. On the Trek movies for JJ, JJ is the yeah. most secretive, you know, and, and again, on Avatar, it was like, so I always seem to be getting in a big fight on location about, what? This is not a lockup. This right. is like, yeah. this is a this is a room with a $6 padlock on it right. and chain link. Like, yeah. yeah. This is not where we should be storing these valuable props. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, like, I always take a, a drive through a city when I get to a city. I yes. remember dragging Melissa and Greg through New Mexico. We right. drove all over Albuquerque. You know, just because you're like, hey, at some point, I'm going to look at you and go, quick, we need. Yeah, right. yeah, and yeah. yeah. You should at least have an idea of what part, of, like what direction you're going to exactly. drive in. Well, and to me, that was always the fun part about it's being awesome. on location is that, you know, you could visit right. Nashville, right? You go on vacation in Nashville. You're there for mostly, a, at most a week. But when you go on location, you actually get the sense of living in that place, yeah. you know, because you're there for seven, eight, 10, 12 weeks or however long it is. And uh, and, and it's great. It's so like you said, you have to like scout out where everything is. 
I mean, what, again, being in the prop department, for me, it was great because they would always put you up in a hotel and you're like, you're in the Holiday Inn and the windows don't open. It's like, <laughs> I am not going to stay in this place. Yeah. So they have to give you a vehicle so you can drive. So I would just, you know, take that housing money and go find a place. Nice. Yeah. And that was so, so much better. Is sourcing ever that more difficult? Because, I mean, obviously you're still probably, like if a rubber needs to be made, you're still probably mostly getting that done back here yeah. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you get back here. When we went to Canada, we had everything built here. Yeah. Um, you know what? The Czech Republic. Yeah. you cannot read the signs. And I mean, so you had to have a, you had to have a person. You had to have another prime right. master who knew, like we needed musical equipment one day not a chance in hell I was going to find that on my own. Right, like I right. would have probably had to go to like a hotel, big hotel concierge and ask them. That's the only thing I could think sure. of. Would but they, they, they wouldn't guy. get you like a translator or something? No, like we, that? we, we did have, you know, counterparts Yeah, and they did. Uh, this guy, Lukash, he said, okay, this is, this is the place. And we drove down a little street and he went inside and he came out with musical instruments. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but there's on. no way I would have found this guy. Right. right. Um, you know, so that's the only sourcing thing. That's and the, also yeah, the there's the better way. Musical instruments are always a thing in other cities too. Yeah. We just had it? in Atlanta. Huh. Um, you know, when you want like those band cases that kids yeah. have in schools, it's, right. You know, it turns into a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and it, that's where having the locals is really helpful. Like I always want some locals on the crew because, yeah, absolutely. You know, Cause they can help you source a little bit and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. And they know, they know th- where things are. Exactly. They know yeah. where things and, are. They and know who to get to. Yeah. Right. Because you'll you're never gonna find that out in your four weeks right. in a place. Right. I did the remake of the Yearling in South Carolina, and I had this guy Kenny who was local. He wasn't in the film business at all, but every time I needed something, it was like and it, for you know it's people who live in the swamp. So we had. I mean, I have this call sheet that shows like all of the animals that we had to have. Oh man. You know because it was like the the uh, the bear killed a pig, so I had to have like a three hundred pound pig. I'm like, Kenny, can you get me a pig? Yeah, sure, I'll get you a pig. And he gets me the pig. The pig shows up, and he's frozen solid. <laughs> okay, so his arms are wailing on him with a freaking sledgehammer, trying to you know make him look <laughs> like he wasn't frozen solid. Yeah. And then by the time we finished, the sun came out, and it melted him. So he was <laughs> fine. But we had to, he had to get us a rattlesnake. And, Damn. And, and, a, and then we had to get a deer, and he like... He was. It was on a Friday, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'll get you a deer." I'm like, oh. "But again, you know, the, uh, be on location, it takes your job to a different level, and it, and it, it makes it more of an adventure." Oh yeah, you know, because you're now in a new place. Because it can get stale being in Hollywood, getting everything from the prop house, and you know, you, I mean, it's great, you know, and and like you said, when you have a family, I mean, that's why I got out of features because I wanted to be home more. Um, it, it's it's nice to be able to just you know go and, to work and. And it's home. easier. Uh, easier is the wrong word. It no, it's just easier. It's easier to do a town uh, to do a movie in town Absolutely. here. Absolutely, because you have a lot of resources, resources. Yeah. And, and not just you know like the things, but the people. Right. And it's not such a crapshoot. Working in LA is really, you know, it makes our job a lot less stressful. Yes. So. Yeah, the relationships definitely make it, I think, here. Because, I mean, I prop mastered for years without really knowing anybody. Right. But now having those developed, like being able to text somebody, which like it can never do that in the beginning. Yeah. Like that's, that's 
crazy like it saves me hours sometimes just like okay straight resource and be able to like get the graphic made well and and that's the great thing here i'll I'll plug the guild for a minute um you know that's the thing that's what we're supposed to be doing right we're supposed to be helping each other and call like exactly chris peck and i are notable for staying late at iss yeah (laughs) but what i stay late so i'll walk over and i'll be like hey how would you do this i mean what's the point of doing a cool job where you know we're not we're not putting two by fours together, right? right. There's no one way to do this. One right. of the reasons when I was putting my trailer together, I would spend, I looks like some weird trailer stalker. I'm looking at everybody's <laughs> trailer. I'm asking everyone. Yeah. Like, and, you know, and then I built the trailer I was going to yeah. build anyways. But the fact of the matter is, it's like everybody does it different. Right. And there's no right, right way to do it. Um, I'm super proud of the fact that I've got, you know, in fact, I just sent Kirk Corwin a D-ring that somehow ended nice. up in my kit with his initials on it. I'm uh, like, I have pieces of, I got other prop guy yeah, stuff all over right. my trailer. <laughs> and hopefully a lot of their other knowledge too, you know, like, and, and I'll call, like I'll call anybody and yeah. I'll tell anybody anything because why wouldn't you? Like, like I said, if you know, like if I'm going to do a basketball thing now, right. I'm calling you yeah. or I'm calling Jared because you guys have right. done that. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so part of it is just keeping up, keeping up and being aware of what you're, fellow prop masters have done yeah. I think it's really important we don't need to completely reinvent the wheel every time yeah, yeah. you yeah. already have all the resources for the basketball stuff yeah, so exactly. it's a, <laughs> save yeah. on some research it definitely and then, helps yeah. for sure because that allows you I mean one thing you do realize I'm thinking about this a lot lately like back on Rocketeer I was looking around going why isn't everything just perfect like why like we had all this time and like there's still things that like aren't you know why isn't it why don't we have all these things and you then once you do it you realize oh it can't be like it's right. just like anything else right yeah um you're gonna fall behind fall short so sure. one of the good one of the important things to learn i think about being a prop master is you have to dedicate your resources where they're important right, right. and then just not sweat it when you can't get the 25th car the right license plate sometimes and you're just right. gonna xerox a license plate and sure xerox you're gonna make a color copy of a of a license plate and just tape it on and yeah it. <laughs> yeah it's like when you learn after doing it for so long that when you get the script the first time you know you start identifying the things you have to manufacture yeah you know and get those things rolling you know, because you know you don't want them to catch up to you but again part of the job is being able to you know work in the clutch yeah you know and that's also a lot of the fun of it oh it's totally fun although right? my assistants would argue yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> nobody likes that, you know, that, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, but... I, I would joke that if you have a release date and a poster, but no script or plan, I'm the guy you call. <laughs> and I got, you know, and I like to say I got pretty decent at playing that Amazing Race style of, right. of filmmaking. Like, you know, Phil's going to open the envelope and going, today's scene. You know, it's not the best way to work. It's not, and, and part of the thing about the Fablemans that, I did realize that as stressful as it was, it's great to not have everything be a crapshoot when you walk in the door to go, okay, I'm still going to sweat how many chickens I have. Right. But at least I know that it's chickens, not ducks. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I'm sure over the years there's been a lot of uh, films that you went out for that you didn't end up getting. Oh, yeah. Is there... uh, Anything, you know, because again, when sometimes we're up for a movie and we don't get it, we get to read the script. Oh, yeah. Um, so is there a, a, any movie, or movie in particular that you didn't get that you wish you had? Hmm. I, you know what? When I was working for Brad, he was going to do this. Um, duh, I almost want to look it up. It's 
the movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Uh, <laughs> is it 13 Days? Yes, it's 13 Days. Yes. Right. <laughs> I don't know who did it because it was done years later. Like right. it wasn't it wasn't at all the movie that I we see. were going to do when we did it. Yeah. Well, that uh, was pretty fascinating time in history for sure. Yeah. But I remember reading that script and going, "Man, this is the greatest script." Well, yeah, I felt that way about Unfrosted. Really? W- weren't you up for that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you read it? Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. I can't wait for that film to come out. I think I could not get past that I just didn't know how they were going to do it. Like, I was like, <laughs> man, this is a giant, giant movie, and I'm not sure. Right. There was some weird stuff in yeah. it, like the ravioli. You know? Yeah. And I just, like, this is something that's going to come out? It's, it's, yeah. A, yeah, it'll be out Jerry soon. And it's probably going to be great. But there was stuff also, I think, for you and me, there were a lot of references, and obviously for Jerry, there's a lot of references that I just don't know if people are going to get in the same way or going to resonate. Know. I don't yeah, right maybe not because you know we're men of a certain age but yeah but I, I don't know I thought it was very funny I was really upset that I didn't get that one but uh, I understand why now and then actually the production designer ended up not doing it exactly it was funny and sometimes that does. yeah I'm trying to think if there's anything else where I really really wanted something and it was just crushed I've had a couple of weird experiences where I've literally, like I said I've gotten hired on two Star Trek movies yeah. that haven't happened really yeah like they were bad robot was lovely after we did cloverfield paradox i came in i met with a director they were going to do the movie in england and she said you know will you come to england and do this movie and i said i'm sure they're not going to take me to england she goes oh no i wouldn't be meeting it with you if they weren't going to take you to england nice and then the movie didn't happen and then we were just going to do it right before we did red one we were doing a star trek movie with the director of the pilot that i was working on at the same time, which was this weird coincidence and again, oh. super gratifying. But we were so excited. Like, I really liked the script. Director liked the script. Everything was great. And then for some reason, it just didn't happen. So you're ready for another Star Trek movie, is what oh, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, again, you know what? They're really fun. The yeah. cast yeah. is really nice. They have a really great message to them. You get to work at a really high level. I, I mean, I, I, I would say Star Trek, in a, there's a couple movies like Rocketeer and Constantine and Into Darkness, those three movies, when you looked around, you're like, man, if there's a weak link, it's me. Yeah. Because everybody else is, everyone's working at such a high level. Yeah. And I said, when we did Beyond, I looked at our VFX coordinator, Ron Ames, our visual effects producer, and I said, man, it's almost like I wish I was old enough to retire after Into Darkness because that was like, we just... I just felt like my crew and I and all the other crews did such a great job. You're like, man, we left that movie. You felt like you left it all on the table. You feel like you plateaued there? <laughs> no, because again, Fablemans uh, yeah. was yep, different. Sure. There you but, go. <laughs> but it's a different kind of movie. Yeah, it's Definitely. a different kind Definitely. of movie. And, and on Trek, you know, at least on those two movies, and I'm sure Russell would say the same thing. Like Russell actually had a, a harder job because it was reinventing all right. that stuff from, right. you know, previous versions. But you just get to work at a really high level, and you have the sure. resources to do it. And you get yes. to push the boundaries of technology, yeah. and you get Makes to go to all the difference. You get to go to the guys who make stuff and go, "Okay, I know we did it like this last right. time, but now we're going to do it, and it's got to be even cooler." Yeah. yeah. So there's as much as as much as it's a, it's a paradox because as much as it's gratifying to get to do a new thing, yeah, every time, and that's what's great about doing props. It's also great to revisit stuff and go, sure. "Wow, now I get to do that." Better. Right. And that's the thing that, like, we don't always get. No. So to get to do, a, you know, it's like the same thing. Like, our props in Batman Forever are great. Awesome. <laughs> and our props in 
Batman Forever are arguably, I mean, and Batman and Robin are arguably better. Right. You know, because we had done it sure. two years before. Right. Yeah. Right. And knew the pitfalls. Yeah. So that's a real gift to get to re- to get to revisit that stuff on different things. So there's an element of change yeah. to it. Yeah. Right. But still, get to take acquired knowledge and utilize it is right. really cool. Yeah, that's what's great about doing a TV series. Yeah. You know, because there there is that lore that you're creating and that you know. I mean, it can get stale, but at the same time, you know, working with the same people and and that makes a huge well, difference. Well, that's always great. When you can work with the same the same crew again and again, a like great when crew. the same a great, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like and I've been I've been super fortunate. Like, yeah. you know, there's always going to be somebody, but you know, sure. like for the most part, if you're working at a high level with a great grip crew and a great electric right. crew, like you know, it's, it doesn't even have to be direct interaction, but just knowing right. that I'm working with professionals yeah. is a real gift. And I've been really lucky. Like when we did, so we did Green Hornet and John Schwartzman was a camera guy and Les Tomita was the key grip. And when we got to do Amazing Spider-Man, it was those same two departments and same costumes. It's like, man, right. like I know. You got a relationship. And yeah. Everything. yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing when you, again, you work with people who are at the top of their game. Some departments you don't even really think about normally. But then when you see somebody like a dolly grip. You know, oh, to man. be able to nail hit yeah. the mark and and do what they do, that it's it's such an art. I mean, I think, holy crap, I can never do that. And they do it take after take yeah. after take, and it's like, wow, they're never missing the mark. Okay, right. because you're blowing the take, and it's like that's impressive. Yeah, and and again, it, it makes you work better. It makes you 100%. work harder because you're like, oh man, I'm not. Look at all guy. these guys. I'm not going to be the idiot who screws this up. <laughs> One hundred percent. You know, so that that pushes you, and it's really nice. What do you find the most challenging part about your job? Sadly, I'm going to say probably managing all the people. Yes, thank <laughs> you for saying that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's it, so true. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I yeah. mean, I don't like. We're lucky that we have small crews. Right. I mean, I can't imagine, like, if you've got a 20-person grip right. crew and you're like, oh, man, all the nonsense i got to listen to and all the nonsense I used to spew at people I worked for. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because if we could all go back and act differently when we were working for people. Well, that's it. And you're under, you know, a lot of stress. And it's a, you know, again, it's a, a, a job where we're all, everybody's working at the top of their game. And or needs to be well. It's like sometimes I will have to say to background people, I'm like you have to take your sunglasses off. They're like, oh, my eyes hurt. I'll take them off when they take. I'm like, listen, there's one of me. There's a hundred of you. Yeah, right? I can't look at all of you. So you have to do your job. Yeah, now. Yeah, and it's the same with like, you know. But I I will say I did tell Brad when we started talking again. You know. I never realized what a shitty job you had until I had yeah. it. Because <laughs> you have to deal with all of us. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So that's funny. Well, Mikey, do you have anything more? Yeah, just one more. I just, yeah. I, 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 my last thing is, I want to on Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, I love that movie just because, like, mostly the way they did, like, they built like little buildings and stuff like that for them to shoot in, right? Is that how it was that? Did you have to do like miniature props and stuff like that for that? A little tiny bit. Oh, just a little bit? Yeah, it's not as much as you think. I want to know how much like digital they went as opposed to like live action with that. It's a lot of digital. A lot of digital. It's a lot of digital. Okay, fair. I like, haven't seen it. You know, I we. It's such we, a wholesome movie. <laughs> sure, it's a really wholesome movie, but it has like sort of a great edge to it. Although, honestly, I've never watched 
the whole movie. And really? It's one of the couple movies that I've never seen. And the only reason I didn't is because I watched the animatic they gave us when we started was so complete. Oh, like before you started even shooting the movie? Yeah, there was an animatic. Yeah. And it was full what's, length wait, and everything. What's an animatic? Uh, it's it, almost it, like an animation of the yeah. whole movie. Oh, <laughs> and it was all laid out. It was laid out like in a low res. moving storyboard. Yeah, yeah, it was a moving storyboard. But the whole movie was there at the same length that the completed movie is. Like oh. everything was all there. Right. So. Okay. So you pretty much had your extreme exact reference point yes. <laughs> to a T. Like I said, we were sort of a six week plate unit. I mean, there was more oh, to it than that. But I mean, we had very little human act- acting. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. I, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, listen, that's, that's why we do it. Yeah. Right? And how old are fun. your kids now? Uh, 25 and 20. Yeah. Too old for Chippendale. Too old for Chippendale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably the right age for the Chippendales show. You know, like right. But not a. Are, they, are either one of them in the industry? No. no. In fact, clear. my younger son, he was a COVID person. Oh. Uh, he was one of the COVID, oh, COVID. officers or whatever okay. they call. He was a COVID person on Rescue Rangers. Oh, really? <laughs> and at the end of it, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. You know, he said, "You know, Dad, I get." why you love this job. I really see it. You know, I didn't really understand right. it, but I see how much fun it is. You sure. get to work with all these creative people and you, you're like schmoozing with everybody and it's yeah. just, it's. I really get it now. I said, oh yeah, is it something you'd want to do? And he's like, oh fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I really appreciate you coming out. Um, I appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun for sure. And, uh, and you're you're currently working, so that's saying a lot right now, brother. <laughs> yeah, very fortunate. Knocking so, on all the yeah, yeah. Hopefully, when everybody hears this, you know the strike will be not happening or something. Yeah, I don't know. Just dated this thing. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? But uh, again, thanks for coming out. And, Appreciate uh, it, Mikey. Uh, you want to wrap us up, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks to everybody out there who's listening and tuning in. Um, this is the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild brought to you by Real Working and Retired Prop Masters. If this is your first time listening, please make sure to hit the like buttons and hit subscribe. Um, comment anywhere you're listening. That would be great. Uh, if you'd like to know more information on the Property Masters Guild or have any questions for us here at Prop Talk, be sure to go over to propertymastersguild.org or shoot us an email at info at propertymastersguild.org. Um, we're also on Instagram at underscore the PMG, and we're on all other socials, so just look for the Property Masters Guild. Um, yep, until next time. See ya.